Hi and welcome to Allies of Convenience, the international 40k podcast. My name's Alex Ray, your host, and this is a special, the first part of our ETC coverage this year. The ETC European Team Championships is one of the biggest events in the worldwide competitive 40k calendar, and we are trying to give you a full breakdown of uh, exactly what the ETC is, and we'll be covering it extensively uh, with our very own cast members as part of Team Wales, uh, who travelled out there this year. I'm joined for this introduction by Matt Robertson, captain of Team Wales, and of course, mainstay on the podcast. Hello, Matt. Howdy. Um, We just want to let people know about the glory and wonder that is the ETC, just in case you know people aren't aware of it. I know we have a lot of American listeners, and um, it's kind of like this mythical thing that happens in a far-off land to some of those guys, um, and maybe some of the UK uh, guys that are just getting into it and, and don't really know exactly what the ETC is, but may have heard sort of mention of it. Obviously, it was covered uh, pretty much every year on the, the previous 40K UK podcast. So yeah, tell us a little bit about what the ETC is. The ETC is basically an eight-man team event where teams are representing countries from all over the world, really, rather than just Europe, which the name would suggest. So you get the Americans every year, then you've got Australians and guys from New Zealand, Singapore, pretty much everywhere, really, all go to represent their country in eight-man teams so you've got 1v1 games where your combined score is added together and you have to score over 86 points in 40k and that's a win for your team and if so less that, how does how does the scoring work um uh, each individual game is scored out of 20 so say we played and the score would be 14 6 for example and then the next one would be 20 nil 0 to 28 to 12 and it's just a combination of each eight individual player scores. Okay, so is the the smallest win I presume you can get is what twelve, or can you get an eleven nine? Is you can get a ten or draw, really. Yeah, but that's not a win, is it? So yeah. Just, so can you get a twelve? Can you get an eleven nine? Yeah, it scales right the way through from eleven okay. nine, twelve. The, right. If you get any combination, I need to get eighty six. Eighty six, yes. Okay. All right. So uh, so yeah, that's. Uh, <clears throat> that's that's obviously across the eight games, so you can you can literally win every game eleven nine and still you know, still do well. I guess. Yeah, that's harder than it sounds, but that's the end basic goal. Now you say it's harder than it sounds. Um, there's quite a unique format to the ETC. It's not just eight teams going up against each other. There's real tactics and strategy to it as well. Um, do you want to tell us how the match-up, the pairing process goes? Because that's, yeah. that's a really important part, isn't it? Well, basically, each team this year, could, you could take each army or each faction once as primary, once as secondary. So if you had an Eldar CAD as with an ally, say, you couldn't have another Eldar CAD. You'd have to have something with an Eldar ally or an Eldar attachment. And then, so you've got eight different lists, eight different teams well armies within your team and you kind of got to pair up against your opponent's armies so you could put something down as a first defender and they have the advantage of being able to pick the board that they're playing out of the eight but they also have the disadvantage of the other team having eight options to pick play against them so each team has one which is secret as a champion 
and the champions play each other. They're not involved in the pairings at all. And do you do you nominate the champion at the very very start of the process before anyone's played, uh, anyone's picked or paired? Yeah, up? both teams will put the champion down in secret to one side, and that will just stay out of the way, not get used. And then the other players will pair off, taking it in turns to defend and attack against each other until you've got seven pairings done. They'll all pick their individual tables. And then the champions end up with whatever tables left playing against each other. So there is some tactics in choosing the table as well, because you might know what your champion is if you're picking the last table where there's a choice out of the last two. Yeah. You might want to pick one which isn't the best for you, but is a lot better for your champion, and vice versa. Mm. Now, a lot of the pairings are sort of planned out in advance, is that right? Yeah, a lot of people will have a rough idea or a pairing matrix just so they can see what you want to play against, what you're not going in blind. So if you put down, say, Eldar, and you've got eight hours, you're going, oh, crap, which wants to play it? You've also got to bear in mind, say you put your best one down against Eldar, it might leave you vulnerable in another matchup later on. So you might get a small win there, but because of that small win, get a big loss further on. Whereas you could have swapped around and got two small And obviously, the getting the wins is important, but not that important. Because if you win a game 11-9, but then you end up losing another game 20-0, that's yeah. obviously not good for you. So. Yeah, that's a big net swing. But a lot of the time, your first defender, they're not aiming to get a win, which is quite a different mindset. So some games, you're not trying to win the game. You go, right, I'm not going to win this, but how can I get as many points as possible? So you might try and aim to get seven, which if you do, is a great result because you're stopping their list, which should hopefully be getting 20. Mm. So, so you're not just So they're game. basically sort of like blocker lists, I guess, spoiler lists almost. Yeah. Um, Something that, that are hard really to kill, to hard, to, hard to beat in a decisive fashion. Yeah, well, a lot of the time, you will get your first or second defenders will get smashed and they'll end up getting three <laughs> or four maybe. But as long as your attackers can do the same, and it's the mid-pairings where it comes down to a bit tricky and a bit closer, they're the games that really count. But obviously anything you can do as a defender to get a couple more is a massive benefit for your team. So, I mean, you can go to the ETC and literally lose every game, but still be like the MVP, because if you lose a, a 20-0 matchup, you know, 12-8, then you're, you know, you're an all-star then pretty much, right? Yeah, because that's not just an eight points for your team. That's eight you've took off them as well. So that's like mm. a sixteen point difference. Big swing, big swing. Yeah. Right then. Um, so that's how the matchups work. Um, obviously, the ETC has its own rules pack and that sort of thing as well. And we discussed that briefly, I think, on the podcast a while ago, as as has been worked on. But do you want to tell us a little bit about how the rules and missions and all that sort of stuff are worked out as well? Uh, the missions were decided initially by a group of six people, I think it was at the time, myself included. Uh, when 7th edition first came out and it was voted in, the group was volunteered to go, right, we'll help with the missions, we'll help with the FAQ, get everything sorted, because this was only, I think, two months before the event at the time. This was last year or year before. So it was a bit of a rush to get things sorted. And... There were some basic concepts were put forward and the group was tweaked it, modified it, put a little bit up for a vote just to get things rolling and they were ended up being uh, the missions that 
probably a lot of the UK will be semi-familiar with if they've been to events. You've got like Northern Warlords using the missions, Caledonian recently used the same missions. I know RGT will probably use the same missions, which is a mix of Eternal War, so you get your standard objectives at the end of the game, Maelstrom, so trying to claim them throughout the game and little missions, and also a small kill point variant just to counter the fact that MSU style lists are strong. Yeah, especially especially when you're using the combined Eternal and um, Maelstrom, which are so objective-dependent. Um, so, yeah, having having a kill point balancing factor is obviously something that's that's nice. Stops people just spamming stuff out. Um, there is a cut-off date, I believe, as well, isn't there, for the ETC, and it's kind of uh, way in advance in terms of what codexes are available. So what was the last new codex that was um, allowed into the ETC? The cut-off this year was just before the AdMech book. So we had the Skadari, but we didn't have the AdMech. Ah, that's interesting. So it's basically half a faction that was allowed in. Yes, just because there's a date set at the beginning of every year. That date's stuck to pretty much. Yeah. And then it gives teams a few weeks to finalise any lists and any changes, submit the list. I think it's a month five weeks in advance mm. and those lists get checked for any errors any slight modifications are made finalised lists are made, done two or three weeks before the event and then just so everyone's got a chance to see everyone's lists make sure there's nothing illegal and do some planning really so the lists are published um, they're public um, a couple of weeks before the event and um, obviously that means and you can go through and look through at the, uh, the pairings as you said you can look at um, strategies and, and run plast- uh, practice matches uh, against lists that you think you're going to see. Um, but how do the... Um, so obviously you know the draw for the first round in advance. Uh, yeah. Who past, Team Wales got? The past two years, the draw was actually done on the Thursday night, I think, at okay. a party put on by the organisers. But this year, captains decided they didn't really want that. It wasn't much good. Everyone went to the party, found the draw, and then just fucked off. <laughs> so having it done in advance, you have more time to socialise and enjoy yourself while you're there. Yeah. So obviously year, you get the draw and you want to go off and plan immediately. Yeah, whereas if you know in advance, you can get it all done and just go and have a drink while you're there instead. Mm. Uh, so this year the draw was done three weeks, two weeks in advance, I think it was. So Wales ended up with Croatia. Nice, nice. Um, how many countries are there this year? This year, I want to say 28, including a Merc team, but it might be 26, including a Merc team. Off the top of my head, mm. I'm not 100% sure. And that's from, like, literally around the world. Are there any... Uh, so we know Europe's obviously represented well. Yes. Uh, we know America attends um, pretty much yes. every year. Um, you've got teams from sort of the Australasia area as well. Do you ever get any Asian teams there? Because I know uh, Games Workshop does reasonably well in Japan. We've never had a Japan, a China that I know of. Mm. Australia for forty k tend to every other year, just because the costs associated. Yeah, it's, it's, it's in, insane. Yeah. Yeah, fantasy, I think this team Singapore. Okay. I think that they're the only ones from that kind of region that I know of, though. But it might just be they've not heard of it more because I know there's Turkey are on about getting a team for next year. Um, there's just been talks of a. Canada 40k team making it over because there's a lot, always a lot of interest, but it's trying to get 
eight people and organised in time. But I think once you've done your first year or two, it grows and you get more interest. Everyone's back talking about it and the popularity seems to increase. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it sounds it sounds like it grows year on year, pretty much. Yeah, fantasy seems to have grown a team or two every year. Forty k. It's dropped a couple of teams just because of various reasons, like cost or time, or some players not being able to make it and struggle. Mm. But that's grown. I think it was twenty six when I started, or twenty four when I started. It's now nearly thirty. So it's increasing year by year. Yeah. So let's talk about how you got into the ETC. How did you find out about it? Because you're still quite young, aren't you? Um, yeah. I, so how did you find out about the ETC and what made you want to get involved? Initially, I think I was going down to Cardiff with Andy and another one of our friends just for an event there, the first ever Six Nations, I think it was. And I sent the Welsh guys a message just saying, I'm coming down anyway. Uh, do you need to play by any chance? It just happened they did. So I ended up playing that year. Got to meet everyone. That was fun. Didn't go to the ETC that year because I was still 16 at the time, I think. Went to Cork the year after for the Six Nations. Yeah. And then to Switzerland for the main ETC. And that was good fun. And I've been ever since. I've been to Switzerland. Five ETCs now. Crikey. So I've been going since I was 17. For the last five years. Never look back. Never. Every year, we come back and go, that was amazing. You get a little bit of a depression and a crash after you come back, after spending a week away with all your mates. Because it is just a lad's holiday before it came involved, really. But I know last year, or a couple of years ago, Mike sat out mm. and absolutely hated it. Would Said he would never do it again. Andy sat out, absolutely hated it, said he would never do it again. I think even if I wasn't going playing, I'd go and ref or coach for another one of the teams that we're good friends with or Merck for one of those teams. So I'd always be there in some form just because you make so many good friends while you're there, really. Yeah. Um, so let's talk a little bit about that, that social aspect because it is a really important part of it. I mean, it's not like you're going out there and playing for big prize money. There isn't pretty much any prizes there other than the glory of uh, being ETC champions. Yeah, you get sponsorship every year or two from certain companies like Mantic or Cromlech. I've sponsored the ETC in the past and Puppets War, I think. Mm. So you get little bits and pieces here and there of sponsorship, but there's never any big prize money or nothing that's ever going to pay for your trip to go. It's not like TI5 or LCS finals or anything like that in esports where you're playing for millions of dollars. No, you're playing for pride and just for say, yeah, we did it. Which is, it's always fun. So that means it's it's obviously important to just enjoy your trip. So do you want to tell us a little bit about the social aspect of the ETC uh, and what it's like whilst you're out there? Yeah, uh, if you ask any of the Welsh guys, I they like to take the piss out of me a little bit because of my friend making. I'm always off talking to random people and networking and... Um, because I'm good friends with all the Americans from obviously going to Nova last year. Well, that's why we've got all these amazing guests on the show all the time. Yeah. So, yeah, thank you. Thank the you rest of this that. episode will make sense knowing that. But yeah, ev- everyone's really friendly. You've always got something to talk about if it's 40K or whatever you want to talk about. There's always that to fall back to. But yeah, they do take the piss out of me because I seem to 
go and talk to a lot of people. I've met a lot of people over the years. I mm-hmm. always try and keep in touch. And then I think you, the best thing is on the Sunday night of the event, you'll try and find somebody who go, oh, there's that Welsh top. Oh, wait, no, that's a Swede wearing a Because <laughs> it's like at the end of a football match, everyone swaps yeah. shirts. At the end of the weekend, everyone swaps shirts. So I know I got back from the event this year and my girlfriend's shoes were everywhere. So I said something about that. And her one response was, well, my shoes might be everywhere, but you've got a drawer just for your ETC tops. At least they're in a drawer, mate. At least they're in a drawer. Yeah, so I've got that many now. They just end up... They've got their own drawer to themselves. I hope you give them a good wash, though. Oh, make sure she does that for me. <laughs> With the tongs and the boiling water just dipping them in. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But yeah, it's, it's very cool, because if you go to an event, you'll normally see the ETC guys in random different coloured tops from random mm. countries, which is always good. It's, uh, I think... He'll have to correct me on this, but Mike may even have a framed shirt in his house. Oh, that's brilliant. From uh, Nick Rose, inventor of Leaf Blower Guard back in the day. Yeah. But I'm not too sure if it's framed, but I'm pretty sure it is. So let's talk a little bit about um, the difference between ETC and normal singles tournaments and you know the sort of lists and stuff you see that people bring. Um Obviously, in our good all-rounders list, uh, strong lists in a singles tournament might not be exactly what you'd be taking to the ETC. So what are the major differences? Um, and how would someone do if they literally just turned up with with a strong solo list? I think you'll find the strong solo list you get, such as like the LDR with all the scatter bikes, things like that, will do well because they're that powerful anyway. But mm. some lists, you have to use them in the right role. Because you may end up with a list which has a lot of shots. Maybe go back to guard when they used to have a lot of shots. If you put that attack to something that you should beat, but they picked a board with all loss blocking terrain, so you couldn't see him to shoot them, and then they managed to sneak up and charge, you'd struggle a bit. So you always have to bear in mind what you're attacking against and what boards are open. And I guess also you have to sort of really manage the um, the factions that you're using as well because you can't repeat, can you? Um, yeah, there's so no across repeat. across eight players. You have to, you know, you can't all just take um, Eldar. Yeah, as much as I, you I might think want to. every team this year had an Eldar primary, an Eldar secondary. A lot had a Necron primary, a Necron secondary, things like that. But you see, I think that'll move away because next year we're going to go towards one faction each per team possibly because there's enough little books out there now mm. so you've got your Skitari, you've got your Admet, you've got everything, there's 20 odd different options mm. now so that could fit realistically be so just single much. source, basically. not single source but single faction, so yeah you, you, which is what it used to be obviously before we had this allies stuff in uh... oh, I think they'll still allow allies and everything but okay. if someone played Eldar on the team, nobody <laughs> else would have Eldar at all oh I see, so you, yeah that would be even more uh, you'd have to even more so manage your uh manage your use of allies and that sort of thing then wouldn't yeah. you because yeah this list this list might be really cool with like you know this this ally but having that as a as a as a primary would be even better so yeah. you're going to have to reevaluate your lists a bit more and it would probably then therefore um eliminate certain strong solo lists that you see in tournament literally because they just would work stronger as you know primary as well yeah, so you've always got to bear in mind you don't want to put something out. You might have a really strong list and you'll attack on something, but 
if they're not playing to win the game, they can also make it that really difficult. Because normally in a singles event, you have to try and play to win. Because if you lose a game or don't get many points, you're out the event in a lot of cases. Yeah, especially if they're battle point events, it's really important to smash people. Yeah, whereas if you're if they're playing super cagey, super defensive, your normal style of play, your normal list may not work just because of how they're playing it. If they're not pushing at you whereas they normally would, there might not be the chances to exploit that. Because they mm. may just sit on two objectives, let you have three, and just go, all right, I'm going to get six points. That's fine. Which would put you out the running in a battle point event. But in the ETC, that would be a great score sometimes. Exactly. I mean, even a draw, uh, a solo event, can put you out the running in certain instances. So, Yeah, so it's a very different mindset from a singles event. Mm. You'll normally get towards the end of a round as well. If, say, five games are finished and three are going, that's still quite close. You might look and say, OK, we need 28 points from three games. They're looking like they're going to lose. So you just give them a type say, how many points are you going to get roughly? Right, make sure you get that. Don't take any risks. Yeah. You might say to someone who's getting a small win, I need you to take a risk and get 14 points rather than 12. Mm. So it's very tense the last couple of games. And that's you why you need sort of like the, the ninth man, I guess, the coach sometimes, to, to really keep a, a track of how all the games are doing on the different tables and... People can uh, can can know what they're playing for, I guess. Yeah, having a ninth man now is invaluable because you can have your captain run up and down doing that. But if your captain's still playing his game till close, or someone needs to know yeah. earlier on what they should do, do they take a gamble? Do they play it safe? Having that ninth man knowing roughly how things are going, how it looks, just being able to say, "Yeah, push," "No, play it safe," "Take a risk." Having someone just as well to tell you that and give you that insight is invaluable, really. And to be able to go and get you water or <laughs> air even while you're playing the games also. Yeah. Especially in the heat sometimes, like this yeah. year, which we'll go on to in the next episode, was a little bit warm. <laughs> well, I hope you got a, a good idea, uh, listeners, about what the format of the ETC is. Um, now that you've got a bit of... Uh, of reference, a frame of reference. Um, we're going to get into some of the interviews that uh, Matt has managed to secure for us uh, from team members from around the world of the ETC, uh, past and present. Um, Matt, what can we look forward to? Ooh, testing my memory a bit here now because these interviews <laughs> have been done for a while. Uh, I think we've got interviews from Finland, Germany, Poland, Denmark. Uh, we've got a special interview from Australia, touch on the ETC and the general scene over there. Uh, we've got people who had ref last year. Pat, who you may see in other podcast videos recently, of his views as a coach. We've got American views, I'm pretty sure, and how they pick their team. and Basically, how people pick the teams, a bit about the general scene, and what they expect at the ETC. Brilliant. Without any further ado... Let's get into that. It's part one of the Allies of Convenience ETC 2015 coverage.
Hi everyone, joined here again by Tom Adriani of Team Belgium. Hi Tom. Hey, how are you man? I'm good, thanks you. Good, good. Enjoying a quiet evening at home, so thank God it's Friday. Yeah, Friday's <laughs> best day of the week. <laughs> well, apart from Saturday. And oh, Sunday. Third day, best day of the week. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, you've thankfully joined us tonight just to help give everyone a bit of an insight into the behind the doors of the ETC of the chairman role and the FAQs and everything that goes into making the event work so I know you've been chairman in the past for how many years now? Uh, I've been chairman for the past four years basically. So quite heavily involved for the last few years then. Mm -hmm. uh, can you just briefly describe what the role is as a chairman and how you became a chairman in the first place? Yeah, well, how I became a chairman in the first place uh, is a bit uh, was a bit of a coincidence actually. So I, I got into the ETC in the beginning because uh, the fancy guys uh, had, a, had a team going, and uh, two of those guys approached me uh, at uh, a tournament where there was fancy and 40k going on at the same time. They're like, yeah, you, sh you guys should really join and whatever. And um, so we stepped up and we, we made a team going and we met up with these fancy guys there as well. So we hit it off a little bit. And um, Claw, Klaas, uh, was actually a chairman at the time for the fantasy side. And uh, he knew he was not going to make it uh, the year after. So it was like, um, he saw how much involved I was here with the scene. Uh, I was like uh, doing an overcoupling thing for all the tournaments here and making FAQs and making sure all the info got out there for everybody all the time. So he appreciated that a lot. So he was like, okay, you would make a perfect job as a chairman. Of course, at the time, I didn't really know what it needed or what um, what it all meant. So I decided just to put my name forward. And then Claw uh, made some... some um, good comments about me he like uh, told people like yeah this guy is totally trustworthy so it turned out that uh, I was voted in the first year even though I was a total newbie and uh, nobody from the other system actually knew who I, who I was because I was uh, of course involved on the 40k side of things uh, with some input and some some discussions but from the fancy side nobody ever had ever heard about me but uh, I got voted in so I kind of uh, was dropped in the middle of all this without knowing what or how and um, I just met so many great people to work with over the years that, uh, yeah, it was just uh, very easy to keep keep being involved on that level. So basically what, what a chairman does is uh, he's like the missing link between uh, the player community as a whole and uh, the organizer of the ETC. So uh, we're like, I, I call this the living memory of the ETC. So all the things we learn over the years in terms of logistics and rule specs and things that need to be on site uh, during the event are the things that we make sure that the, the organi organization uh, provides uh, for the for the things. We make sure all the votes happen for all the all the systems um, for rule specs, comp, uh, all these things. So we make sure that the deadlines are met and that uh, the ETC can move forward in a, in a structured way. Um, there's also during the year like a million and one questions that pop up from lots of teams that we like uh, do behind the scenes. So there's quite a lot of mailing involved to uh, like uh, Visa, Visa things like the Tur Turkish team has now going on. So stuff like that. I mean, there's a million and one things that chairman actually do behind the scenes. Uh. Cool. Sounds like a lot of work and it, Maybe it's worth saying that you do do all this as a 
purely volunteer basis is no yeah there's no, no reward in this for us other than the satisfaction of uh making this event happen every year so it 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 doesn't really eat up too much of your time but yeah at least easily takes like four or five hours per week uh answering things or reading up on things or stuff like that so having discussions having skype meetings so it it does involve uh freeing some time for that yeah yeah i'd just like to say thanks on the behalf of the community and dtc but all the, a lot of the players for putting that time in because i know without you guys a lot of things just wouldn't happen the etc wouldn't be quite as it is it wouldn't be such a good event because the organizers can only do so much to set up the venue and make sure everything's there then they need the support to get all the little teams involved and like you say you're the contact point in between mm-hmm. yep. Yep. and i know recently uh there's been a, so many with seventh especially some of the little things that have had to be sorted 40k wise are about I know we're doing at the moment about army composition and moving on how we're going to allow things like knights and how army's going to work if we're going to allow data slates we're going to allow detachments all that kind of thing so yourself and a couple of others have put a lot of time into that and make sure all that kind of votes right in there for everyone mm-hmm uh, yeah. But you've also you've also been quite heavily involved in the FAQ the last couple of years, haven't you? Yeah, yeah, true, true. It's it's something that I've always liked, you know, having these rule discussions and stuff like that. Uh, but um, I'm I'm a bit uh, bored over the years of seeing always the same issues crop up. So I was like, okay, if you can have like one document where all those things are lined up and that's a complete work, you know, even the silliest things that always gets asked can be put in there. So it's clear for everybody. Uh, I mean, there's nothing worse than going to a major event like that where you spend like so much money to have a good game. That's undecided if one thing is ruled this way or the other by a judge on site. So I'd rather have this put into a document well beforehand so it's clear for everybody how it's going to be played. So that's also part of the reason why I invest so much time in, into that. So early on in the year, everybody knows how issues are going to be played out uh, at ETC. Like I said, you don't want like issues like that to to, to decide a game, which is actually what happened past ETC with uh, the German and the Polish uh, guys. So it's it's very sad if something like that happens. So I don't want these kind of situations to like ruin the experience a little bit. So that's why I put so much time into the FAQ, uh, because I, I would like to avoid these situations. That's one of my main uh, reasons to do it, basically. Yeah, I know that FAQ document is a bit of a beast as well. It's, what, 40-ish pages at the moment, I think, we're mm-hmm. up to? Unfortunately, GW doesn't like to write rules that are consistent or very straightforward, so... Yeah, thankfully, at least we did see some FAQs the last week. So that's good news that hopefully they'll be back on track with them, although that would have been probably a month or so ago by the time this actual episode comes out now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I wouldn't keep your hopes up, and I'm, I'm a bit disappointed with the stuff they put out. Okay, they put out FAQs, but the things they put in there are so, yeah, not to the point. I mean, they could have done so much better job easily. I mean, I know one of the Dutch guys has been sending them like basic questions that are in our FAQ already, but I mean, they could have easily answered those as well. I mean, so, yeah, I think it's hope. It's a hopeful start that they will carry on, but it's, it's baby steps, baby baby steps <laughs> I, I just think they're not really interested in this competitive side of all these things and I think they will just 
like they got the basic main issues they they have like uh, the blood letter crew from the chariots and stuff like that they will put those in or like uh, the melee options that are missing from the dark LR codex they will put those in but i don't think they will go into detail to answer most of the pertinent questions that arise in in, in regular games because that's not what interests them so uh, i for one think uh, we have to do the work for them so i think i will continue doing that and not hope that someday they will start putting out faqs on a regular basis can you see going on that topic similar to how fantasy has they're playing 8th edition 40k but et sorry 8th edition fantasy but the etc is kind of its addition on its own can you see 40k going down a similar route with having our own comp and the way things work because i know a lot of fantasy guys don't like the fact it's so apart from the rulebook it's like a different edition completely do you think 40k will go along those lines um, I, I, actually, I don't think so. The captains are very conservative on that front, and they've been so for years. So there's not really a lot of comp involved. Uh, I don't think it will uh, it will be like that for the future. I think they will always stick very close to the rulebook uh, in terms of uh, what can be played. And uh, I mean, there will be some things that will be disallowed, of course, because yeah, they're just too broken to be allowed. Like I think the knights will be voted out again this year, um, especially formations coming to play. But um, like independent characters were voted out of the ETC for such a long time because they just were too powerful. But uh, other than that, I don't think we will impose like uh, restrictions the, the way fantasy does, like allowing one army to field more points than other armies just to balance things out a bit. Uh, so I, d I would think we will never go there. I think we'll just keep as close to the rules that they were posted in the book. So... At least uh, that's my hope. I mean, if we ever start playing an ETC kind of game, then I don't think I will uh, I will keep on being involved. No, because I know it would be very a one-off event, whereas at the moment the ETC, you, kind of, you can spend your whole year in tournaments building up to it. It's kind of the highlight of the calendar year for a lot of people. Exactly, but... exactly. That's also how most people here approach it. Like uh, the whole year is just a, a big build-up towards uh, building a list that's efficient at ETC and that you know how to play and uh, so if, if that aspect would go away I don't think it would be as interesting for a lot of people and it would actually involve a lot more participation during the year from them and I don't think we are ready for that so No, I completely agree with you that it would be quite a big step away from the norm and one thing I do enjoy personally is finding a list that is a little bit odd and a little bit different because a lot of the time as part of a team of eight players, you won't be able to go and play Serpent Spam for all eight of you. So you'll have to know a list, you'll have to be practicing it throughout the year. So it's kind of a little bit of a challenge in some events mm -hmm. to take a list that's not the norm, not quite going to smash everybody, but see how well you can do. So, And then hope it comes true at the ETC and does the job it needs to. Exactly, yeah. That's a, that's an issue I've had here with uh, most of my top players, you know. So they always take a competitive build at the at the, the, the local tournaments. But um, yeah, they had to step away from that a little bit in terms of who was playing what at the ETC. So they needed to choose between having an army that was powerful at the events and doing well or practicing their ETC lists. And luckily they, they stepped away from just winning tournaments and chose to practice their ETC and do a bit less nor less good than they were used to at the tournament so that's a, a big improvement for the team i think that people are willing to make those kind of sacrifices so yeah as a 
chairman then, the kind of a figure of authority over the ETC. Mm-hmm. I know you've also been the head ref, was it last year or the year before? Uh, I was head ref in Switzerland and I was yeah. a, a ref yeah, last year at the singles event. So. Yeah. so do you find a lot of the guys and the attitudes to the game are, as a lot of people have been saying in other interviews, uh, quite a friendly social side or do you find there are a lot of issues in the game from an authoritative point of view? No, basically everything is very chill and relaxed. So there are some some guys, of course, who are hardline on, on rules and you know are a bit annoyed if you rule one way or the other that uh, they don't quite agree with. But uh, that's quite normal in the heat of the game. Those things can happen. But uh, mostly it's very social and very friendly, you know. So that's also something that I was surprised at when I was going to this event from the very beginning. Uh, it's just the way people are relaxed, you know. Like I said, you live, uh, you look forward to it the whole year, and then uh, you live up to to that point. And when you get there, I mean, it's all fun and giggles, you know. You're just happy to be there. So this competitive side is uh, something that kind of takes the the back foot, you know. So also judging at an event like that, it's 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 very easy actually. I mean. Cool. So just to wrap up this little segment on a backdrop and a bit more insight to the ETC, is there anything you'd like to mention that you feel from your all-knowing high point uh, listeners would find interesting or like to know? Um, well, no, not really, but uh, I would just like to say that um, it, it's 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 a bit of a letdown at some point that um, the captains, so all the people who represent all those nations are not really as involved as they could or should probably be uh, discussing all these things around the ETC. So it, like you said, you know, it's a small few people who have been involved, like uh, trying to arrange everything. Uh, I think you can count them on one hand. And I think if everybody would get involved uh, a little bit more, we could uh, bring the ETC to a lot higher state and uh, have a better tournament than we have now. So I would like to invite everybody that likes the ETC or would like to see it evolve and uh, like to see it continue to step up to the plate a little bit and uh, get a bit more involved on all sorts of issues. So, so like it, the FAQs, the rule specs, uh, just the discussions on the forums. So I think basically everybody is just too busy in their like their own local group, their own local meta, their own local scene, with trying to arrange everything that they don't really have time to take of their captain's responsibilities and duties. But I, I, I would hope that people would step up to the plate a little bit more to make the few people that do make the time to try to organize all this, like me and Pierre, to make their life a little bit easier. And uh... So where would be, if anyone did want to get involved, where would be the best place to either get in touch with yourself or some of the other chairmen or just to see a bit more about the ETC and get a bit more involved? Well, like all the talks are happening on the Warhammer forum for now. We are trying to set up maybe a different forum that's uh, more ETC specific. But uh, for now, the Warhammer forum is still the place to go. There's like a general board for the ETC where everybody can just drop a line. Um, I think it's also very easy to find uh, who are the chairmen for this year. So you can just uh, private message them if you want. Uh, or just private message me. Uh, my nickname there is Tom EPNK. So, um, yeah, basically we're always available to answer whatever questions anybody has. So the the main thing is if you have a question or what what not, just open a topic, ask your question, and people respond to that. Uh, we're a friendly bunch. So 
Yeah, just for anyone who's looking for that, if they just Google warhammer.org.uk okay. mm-hmm. or the Warhammer Forum, it should be one of the first links up there for you. Exactly. Cool. So thank you very much for joining us, Tom, and hopefully we'll speak to you at some point in the future on this podcast and maybe have you on for another separate topic. Okay. I would like that very much. And I want to say good job for you guys for uh, doing this kind of podcast. So I really enjoyed the first few episodes. So looking forward to hearing more. Well, thank you very much, and I'll speak to you soon. Kyle, joined here by Pat Divers, who some of you may have met at ETC this year. Hello. So, Pat, you came as the Welsh Waterboy this year, correct? Uh, I'll have you know it was Game Master by the end of it, but yes. Yeah, you came as Waterboy, ended up as Game Master. Yeah. So what was your reasoning then for coming to ETC as a non-player? Um, well, I mean, I've been into the hobby for years and uh, uh, the last couple of years then um, I've known the Team Wales lot quite well and they've all been disappearing off to their ETC adventures and um, the opportunity was mentioned for me to go along as coach slash water boy and uh, I thought geek holiday with a load of mates that sounds fun and went for it and yeah it was fantastic. So how did you find it not playing? Did you not find it a bit boring in the rounds or just sitting and watching? Or um, Well, I, I played in the singles event, um, so it wasn't completely pointless pointless trip. Um, but no, I mean, I to be fair, I hadn't played that much over, well, since 7th edition came out, and I don't think I would have done the team justice playing. So um, I was quite happy kind of overseeing how the round was going and kind of doing general coach duties, so. Yeah, because I know it did prove invaluable with the amount of paperwork that ended up having to be done this year. But just being able to play and carry on with my games and have yourself just run around getting all the sheets and just having me sign it all off at the end. Yeah, I mean, I don't think any of us really knew how much paperwork there was going to be before we... Uh before we got there so and yeah a lot of the guys were saying and talking to some of the other teams that the coach was absolutely huge for doing that because I mean the the paperwork would take you'd finish your game and then the paperwork would take 20 minutes to fill out and get all together and stuff so that's not what you need when you've you're on a time limit so yeah so how did you find the overall experience like the travel and going with everyone and just as an outsider's point of view, who's never gone and is thinking of going, maybe just to see what it's all about rather than play. Oh, I, I can't recommend it enough. It was uh, it was fantastic. Um, I mean, if you can, then uh, I'd travel kind of with a group or at least not on your own. Um, just because uh, Serbian airport was by no means straightforward, put it that way, um, and. Uh, and yeah, like it, it was just a good laugh and you get to meet loads of new people and they were all into the hobby as much as you are and from all over as well. So yeah, it's really good. And what would you say your highlight of the trip would have been? Um, not the hobby, probably the Serbian women, going to be honest. Yeah, that was a, a little special this year. Yep. So, yeah, the highlight of your trip, going and playing that 40k, and we've seen that many games, was the barmaids and the women. Uh, yeah, definitely. I think most people would agree as well. 
Cool. So are there any other points you'd like to touch on or let people know of the event as from that side of you? Because it's a view I've never had and I'm sure a lot of guys who have been will never have seen the event from that side. Um, I think that... I don't think you necessarily need to be playing to enjoy it because I certainly didn't. Um, and, uh, and uh, yeah, so... Uh, one thing I would recommend is though you find a chair because walking around up and down a row of tables for 10 hours a day for three days wasn't the best experience. So, um, yeah. Cool. So that's another interesting view. So I know with, with this, we've had a lot of interviews with people who've played or how they've picked the teams, but it's always interesting to hear the side of someone who's gone like you said, for a holiday with mates and just serve you somewhere you'd never think of going, I suppose. No, it was it was brilliant, yeah. Um, yeah, it was really good. And um, I mean, the, if you can get, if you start talking to the kind of competitive guys from your country, I'm sure most of them will be uh, reasonably welcoming and you can perhaps look into getting there yourself, whether it be play coach or just as kind of a spectator then it's a great experience and a good holiday so cool well thanks very much for joining us pat and i'm sure i'll speak to you soon yep no problem cheers hi all joined here by nick nanavati of team america hi how you doing nick i'm doing good how are you matt i'm good thank you so you're here just to talk a little bit etc wise and Mm -hmm. explain how the american team and their systems kind of work. So why don't you start off by explaining how the team was picked previous to this year, because I know it's changed this year, just to give a bit of right. a background to the team and how you got on yourself. Sure. So up until this point, it was the winner the winner of any three of the major events we have in the US, so Adepticon, Nova, and uh, it was Wargames Con, but that event has fallen off a bit, so no longer to reach that one. Um, so those three qualified to be if you won that event. Then uh, three veterans come back, like the top three placers on our team from the previous year. Uh, our captain automatically requalifies, and then we, uh, players' choice of player based on how they've done throughout the GT season at various other tournaments. Was uh, the previous year's top three, was that based on purely their points last year? or was this Yeah, purely battle points. Was there a consideration... The taken in for being like a defensive role or an attacking role? Um, yeah, so if you were a defender and you scored, I, I don't remember how it works exactly, but if you scored more than like a 12, if you were a primary defender, you got like plus three. If you were secondary, you got like plus two. If you were a third defender, you got plus one. So it was taken into a little bit. Uh, but still slightly biased towards the attacking list. Yeah, definitely. Trying to balance it. Mm-hmm. Cool. And so you won Adepticon, uh, uh, which, uh, which is how I qualified. Ah, cool, because I know that was when Greg Sparks was captain at the time. After yeah, he took over Sparks has been captain every year until this coming year. Uh, was Ben Moley captain the first a couple of years? Uh, um, yeah, I think the first two years Ben was captain, but that was before my time, so I don't really remember ah, that. Yeah. So uh, the new captain's Andrew Gonyo, correct? Yes. And then uh, I believe he's worked alongside Greg to change how the team's picked a little bit for going right. forward. So now it's, uh, it's no longer the winner of any one event qualifies you it's just uh we have like a gt tracking system for every player who goes to a gt in the u.s um if, as long as it's more than 50 players and the format is reasonably close to 
the EJC format, um, then it counts, and it's all based on how you place them. We take the uh, sum of how you did in all your events throughout the year, and then the top five at the end of that year qualify. Top four, I think. Um, we have a pretty heated race for the last spot this year, so that's pretty cool. Uh, cool. I won't go too much of who's into the running, because I think it'll be decided probably by the time this is out. But mm-hmm. going back to how the team prepares then, since the team's picked, say, what kind of preparation did you guys put in this year before Serbia? Um, well, it's tough to prepare properly for ETC because our team is scattered all across the US and it's hard for us to actually meet up and play games. Um, we did have a chance to practice as a team twice, which we arranged. Um, aside from that, we just, like, a lot of playtesting within our own groups and just, like, communication, let us know, let everyone know it goes. A lot of theory hammer and stuff like that. Pretty much all you can do. Cool. So, last year being your first year at the ETC in Serbia, mm-hmm. can you cash your mind back a little bit remember what kind of things you expected before you went over? Um, well, my first year in Serbia, I didn't really know what to expect. I thought the competition would be really tough, which for the most part it was, minus a couple of games here and there. Uh, I thought the players would be way more dickish, dickish where they would uh, just try to get you on every little mistake you make. Not like skill mistakes, just like you forgot to move that unit, so you can't move it, even though it's like still your movement phase somewhere else. I don't know, stuff like that. But all my games are still really friendly, which is really nice. Uh, I was pretty much warned that don't expect that to be, to be the case, like it's the U.S., where everyone's pretty friendly with everyone. But surprisingly, it was pretty friendly, so that was nice. So that's good news. And then, did you find that was similar thing this year in Serbia? Yeah, the the friendliness definitely did not decrease at all. Um, when we played some other teams, which I'm not going to mention on here, we had a, a few more arguments and heated debates than we would have liked. But uh, it happens. Uh, we had an issue with slow playing, which got resolved properly, so that's good. Um, but yeah, for the most part, it's still just as friendly. I was pleased. Did you find then, from this being your second year, uh, outside of the gaming side thing, mm-hmm. uh, everyone you've met last year was you still got on well with and still got time to socialise? Like, yeah, definitely. I was. Uh, I feel like I had more time to socialise my first year than this year. This year we were more game oriented, for better or for worse. Um, but uh, yeah, I definitely kept all the same friends and everything. When you say you're a little bit more game orientated this year, do you kind of mean last year you were more there for just go and see all you can do, whereas this year as a team you took it a bit more seriously, a bit more? Yeah, exactly. My first year on the team, we uh, we just went on and we, we obviously wanted to do well on everything, but we we went out a little bit too much, we party a little bit too hard, and you know how that goes. Um, this past year we tried a lot harder as a team, and it definitely showed as we moved up six places in the ranks. Yeah, I think it is quite easy when you're there because there's people you see once a year or every couple of years, depending on how often they go, and you just want to socialise, go out and drink because it's somewhere new, and I'm guessing you can legally drink, which you couldn't in the States at the time. Right, so that's that's a big factor, I guess. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so moving forward to next year, mm-hmm. do you guys have anything special planned? Now Andy's taking charge of Captain CZ, a little bit stricter, a little bit more lenient than Greg was? Um, I think he's about the same. He's, he's very different um, in how he handles things, but stricter, leniency-wise, he's about the same. Um, I'm, I'd say I'm closer friends with Andrew than Greg, so works out for me, I guess. But some people are closer with Greg than Andrew. It all depends on where you come from and how you know them, I guess. Yeah. Um, 
the big thing is we decided to start doing this pre-trip, which we actually did last year, which I think helped us a lot. Let us explore Europe, which is not something us Americans get to do every day, um, and really get the party out of our system beforehand so we can actually focus on the event, which I think we're going to keep doing. And I think it's a big boon to our team success. So what was it you guys did this year then? Um, well, we spent a couple days in Sweden, actually hanging out with Team Sweden, playing some games, um, drinking a lot, obviously. And then we spent a week in Spain and just explored Spain for before the event. That was a lot of fun. So you plan to do any of the other countries next year or go back to somewhere you've already visited? Uh, we want to try to hit a new place every year, I think, is a plan, which I'm fine with. That's, that's cool. Oh, you guys will have to try and hit... Uh, the UK next year then before you yeah. go come see all those guys that'd be good that'd be we could do that yeah. I know, I'm not in charge of the planning process <laughs> ah, yeah it's a good job you're not in charge of mm-hmm. anything really I'm in charge of showing up and playing an army that's about all not dying yeah <laughs> not dying <laughs> so are you guys all uh, looking ahead to Prague then uh the team should be picked by, I think, this end of December? Yeah, December right, 31st is when the calendar year ends for qualifying, but as far as I know, the last GT comes at the end of November, the last GT that counts. Um, so we should know by the end of November, but technically we'll know by December 31st. Yep. So that gives you six or seven months to get everyone to know each other a little bit better. And Yeah, exactly. Uh, and, you know, most of the team plans. already know each other because all the good players know pretty much all the good players. I'm sure it's the same way in, in Europe. Yeah, and uh, so it'll be fine. Um, there's very few people on the team who don't know everyone else on the team. Yeah. Do you guys find it difficult then, being so spread out, and even if you know everyone, you may not be as close as maybe some of the teams in Europe are, where they can see each other on a lot more regular basis. Is it a bit tougher for you guys? Um, yeah, it can be. It can be tough, especially if you want to get quality games in and. Like, there's no one in your area. That can be really hard. But, you know, we have a lot of GTs in America. Usually, like, one every other week, I'd say, somewhere. So you, you get your games in when you need to, for the most part. Assuming you're not too busy with life. Yeah. Did you then find it a little bit help, helpful having all those events when 7th dropped this year and that changed so, so much? Yeah, um, especially for me personally, because I was on summer break when 7th dropped, so I had nothing to do. So I just, like, sat around being unemployed, not being in school for three months, and just playing 40K like a bum. Yeah, because I know for some teams, because uh, I was involved in mm-hmm. the back, behind the scenes, I could see all the voting process going on. Yeah. Uh, a lot of teams were, yeah, go 7th Woo, where some of the teams such as you guys and the Australians in particular yeah. were more... You'd already invested a lot of money to come over. Right. It was more of an investment. Yeah. Well, that's that's definitely true. I know a lot of our team didn't want to push to seventh because we had some pretty awesome lists set for sixth, and we thought we had our sixth game packed by like June. And then just to have everything shifted and basically start from scratch is really disheartening for a lot of us. But at the same time, you don't want to be stuck playing a dead edition all summer. That sucks. Yeah, because I know you went there yourself personally in Poland. The- two years ago now when sixth had dropped but the game carried on being fifth yeah i heard that was a little bit nah so i think in the end it was a good move going to seventh but it was a couple of months earlier would have been a lot more helpful (laughs) yeah so just to wrap up this a little bit then uh any thoughts or 
comments you want to make on Prague next year? Any specific plans you've got or part of the team? Uh, not particularly. I just hope Prague can live up to my standards of Europe now. <laughs> I'm sure it will, so it shouldn't I be think too Prague, bad. Prague should. It's somewhere I've always wanted to go, so I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, that's good. Awesome. Well, thank you very much for joining us on this, and I will speak to you again soon. Hi all, joined here by Per Sturson. I hope I pronounced that right, from Team Sweden. <laughs> yeah, it's fine. Hi. Yeah, I'm getting a bit better at that names. Uh, so why don't you tell us a little bit about the Swedish team uh, and the Swedish meta? Because I know their tournaments are done a little bit differently to everyone else in the world, it seems. Uh, yeah, um, first of all, uh, the, the tournament scene in Sweden is quite, um, it's uh, quite, uh, uh, since the country is quite small, we all, we all seem to meet each other in the whole country. So, uh, that, in that respect, it's kind of a small community since we all meet. <laughs> uh, and then there's a widespread of uh, uh, setup of the tournaments with uh, if it's uh, no restrictions or a lot of restrictions uh, with some of the Swedish comp in other way, uh, and in, uh, which is applied in many other ways, uh, which uh, affects the um, type of lists people can tend to bring. Uh, so there's a big big spread in what people play uh, in terms of uh, codex and models and everything. Um, uh, and uh, the team? Uh, uh, do you mean how it's picked? or? Yeah, just going to go how it's picked and then what kind of preparation you guys have before the ETC. Yeah. Uh, the, the team is picked by uh, the captain, uh, or uh, five of the members is picked by the captain, uh, and the captain in his uh, is picked by uh, the top three players of the Swedish ranking, which is all tournaments played in Sweden, uh, which is with ten participants or above. Um, and then all these results go into the ranking and those top three players pick the captain the captain gets to pick uh, the five rest of the, the the five remaining members of the team um, with consultation of course but he has to find a word uh, and uh, then we try to uh, divide all the players into uh, like uh, Gaming areas, or uh, so the, they can practice with each other uh, in in uh, relatively close areas uh, to get the the regular playing done. Um, we don't have that many of um, constructed like. Uh, Preparation meetings or preparation uh, tournaments. We have perhaps one or two in the summer before before the ETC, uh, but uh, nothing more than that. Other than that, we 
she see each other at the tournament because everyone in the team is quite active. So we'll probably see a couple of times a year anyway. Um, so just going back then slightly to how the team's picked, do the top three automatically get a spot? The top... uh, yeah. And the, then... the, the top three players are automatically qualified and then they decide who they want to be, uh, who they decide to be the captain. Does the captain have to be out of those three players, or could that be anyone? Uh, it could be anyone. Okay, so so the captain doesn't necessarily get a spot playing in the team. Uh, doesn't have to. Uh, it's just uh, been that way for the uh, for the last few years, but uh, that's not a not a good demand. <laughs> okay, and then so you're saying. You, You've got a lot of just mini events with all the comp where a lot of you guys will all get together rather than having specific practice weekends. You just use events as you practice. Uh, more or less, yeah. And then, of course, we play outside the tournaments. And since we try to group um, the, the players in the team together uh, somewhat geographically, uh, then they will always have, uh, like people with the same ambitions and uh, wanting to play the same um, yeah we'll, well, other people trying to uh, test ETC lists uh, uh, in the in their, so yeah cool. since there are no point playing your ETC list to, against someone who's preparing a list for a comp Swedish tournament since it will uh, defeat the purpose yeah it's a little bit wonky uh, so when you guys go into the ECC then where do you kind of see yourselves what do you expect from your team like position wise are you trying to challenge for the top three or more go see how well you can do but have fun while you're there uh, I would say the goal for the Swedish team is uh, is and has always been top five more or less uh, than the last years, we haven't been able to get that far. But uh, uh, 2013, we were playing the Germans in the final round, so we were very close to getting in the. I think a, a win had gotten us uh, the second place and a draw in the fourth place. So, it, and it was a really tight uh, round. Yeah. Yeah, I think I remember the last roll in that gate in the last game in that round because I was watching, coming down to like a three plus run or something to draw the round. Yeah, something really close, and then just didn't quite go your way. So um, we always aim for the for the high end of the tournament, but um, yeah, that's our ambition anyway. Yeah, because I know this year. Uh, in Serbia, just it wasn't too. Uh, I think it was top seventeen. You came, was it? Uh, sounds about right. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think that was down to more seventh edition being a bit new, or other factors, or was it just things didn't quite go your way this year? Uh, I think there were a number of reasons. Uh, one of them was probably uh, with seventh coming up, we took some. Uh, you might say chances with the lists, uh, which we thought were good, but we, since uh, it was a new edition, we didn't really have time to test it to the full extent. 
So even though um, our perception was that it, this is a good list, it's stable, then uh, actually in the tournament we will learn that it was uh, perhaps fragile in some way or uh, had some uh, particularly bad matchups that were hard to avoid or like uh, a weakness against a, a larger amount of the, of the list present. So I think we made some errors in already in the uh, list building uh, procedure, uh, and then perhaps I uh, I actually think some of the players uh, practiced too too little uh, this year uh, with the with the new edition and uh, getting their. Uh, to play their new lists to them, uh, so that they know it to the full extent. So a few things just adding together. Yeah. Uh, have you seen them with people and lists? Because you guys have a lot of events that are comped, would say more than the normal style that other countries are used to. Do you find that has some effect when you're trying to build lists for DTC? Because they're not quite the norm that you've been playing with in a lot mm. of events. Uh, I think it uh, affects us both, both positive and negative. Um, I think the positive side is that we can, uh, we are very used to playing with uh, different units and thinking like outside the box, uh, or how we should, how should we try to use this unit, or can we, uh, can we make this list work around something like this, which isn't normally used? Uh, on the other hand, uh, on the practice side, we do play probably less uh, ETC format tournaments than most countries because we simply don't have time for everything. Uh, and in that respect, we get less practice, uh, which could be which could be a negative thing. Yes, so a few curveballs thrown in there, but maybe not as much practice. So it, I think in the past it's shown with some of your lists they have been a little bit odd and unexpected compared to countries like in the UK, where it's a lot of repeat between the countries because everyone plays together over here. And you get a lot of rep repetition and spam, whereas a little bit less from you guys because you're used to using the units that people over here to look at and go, well, why should I take that? This is better. But yeah, it's an interesting point of view, and maybe we'll touch on that more in a future topic on this podcast. But uh, going towards Prague next year, then, do you have any ideas moving forward to try and get any more practice events or things like that? Or just keep going as you are and hope for the best? Uh, no, we have been uh, we have been discussing that we should probably um, do more of the like ETC format tournaments in Sweden uh, and the more evenly spread across across the year because there were there have been some and they were probably um, uh, probably more focused in like the in, under the summer the the earlier early start and. Uh, May, late May, early June, uh, but 
if we try to get some more tournaments spread evenly across the year, we could uh, get more uh, more even practice with uh, with the ETC list and more more even tryouts uh, of uh, trial and error on the list, so we can get feedback earlier in the year. That's good. That's good to hear. So hopefully I'll see you in Prague next year. And um, thank you very much for joining me and having this quick chat. Thank you. I'll speak to you soon. Hey everybody, Matt Robertson here again, joined this week by current German ETC captain Caillou Fennec Orellane. Yeah, probably yeah, got the almost, almost. <laughs> yeah, Orellana is the name, correct? But Caillou is all, Caillou is all right. Yeah. Cool. So. Uh, here just to talk about ETC a little bit and a bit about the German scene and how things are there because uh, I know we're over here in the UK a lot of events are downsizing a little bit to 1650 or 1500 in some cases uh, what are events doing in Germany how's the scene looking over there that's a good, good a very good question actually because um, we had similar tendencies here as well and there are a few tournaments doing just the same they uh, downgrade to 1500 to 16 something to or even where I'm going to to participate next week is uh, 1580 points and um, we have some tendencies like this as well but uh, I cannot say that this is something like a general trend um, most of the tournaments and even more the more important bigger tournaments they stay with 1850 or around 1850 um, and I think this is a trend that's going, going to continue even even more with um, because the tournament scene in Germany always has the perspective that the ETC is giving something like a yeah something like um, the trend for the next year. So we played ETC with 1850, and so everybody thinks that they have to do the same. Do you find that has a good impact then for a lot of your training and for helping you pick the team for the years going into have an 1850 event? Having played 1850 all year, um, I'm not really sure because I I never have the impression that the ETC or the success at the ETC depends on the really on on, on the on the on the rosters on the armies as well. Of course, it, it depends a little bit on everything like a playstyle, roster, everything. But I don't have to play an entire year the same 1850 list. To be successful with it at the ETC, I'm not sure that this, this is the right concept. Yeah, that's, I completely agree with that because a lot of the lists are different with it being a team event and not being a team event in most single events. But judging on that, do you base your team selection off performance in singles events, or do you have? I know some countries do a team event where the winning team of four or five will be the team and then pick the other members. How do you guys do it in Germany? Uh, we do a little bit of both, actually. We have, or we used to have, a huge uh, team tournament called the Stadtmeisterschaften, which is which is translated to something like city championships. And there we had the different cities uh, with their respective players, and they formed teams of five guys. And with a kind of kind of etc format, they played played against each other to find the best team. Five guys was uh, normally uh, Fritz's team from Bayern or um, a team from Blinn, actually, one of both, normally. Um, but also, when we try to find a team, we, we 
um, take a look at our rankings because we have a national tournament ranking system, which is called t- tabletoptournaments.de, T3. And um, the fr- French use it, German use it, uh, Switzerland, Austria, Netherlands, Belgium, I think as well. And this is and yeah, this is a ranking system, and we pick our team from this from these rankings as well. So is it kind of a mix of whoever wins that event, and then as captain, I'm guessing you have input from a couple of others, you'll pick the top X amount based on the ranking, and then. No, I'm I'm, I'm really uh, I'm going to explain to you how this works. Um, we have this national tournament ranking, and the top three, like the the deadline is somewhere in February, and the top three. Um, make it into a team automatically. If if someone drops out because he has something to do or doesn't want to go to the ETC, the next is filling his spot. And um, then we have a next deadline. These the first three guys in the team they decide uh, who is going to be the number four and number five in the team, uh, picking from the top twenty in a ranking. And uh, then the same for the last three. So six, seven, and eight. From for, of the players are uh, um, picked by next, I don't know, two weeks then uh, by the five players that are already in the team, and they can be picked from the entire community. Just have to be German. Ah, that's one of the key things there, being German. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> cool, so that sounds like a quite a simple way of doing it. Uh, are there any plans to change that for the year coming up, or anything like that, or keeping as is if it's working? <clears throat> yeah, I mean, we are quite happy with with this system, and it obviously seems to work in a way. But we, there are, I have a few ideas how to change it because you must you must imagine that we have a our national tournament ranking. Um, it's a lot about being active and being on many tournaments. This is how you gener- generate your points to, to get a certain position in the, in the rankings. And if you do a lot of tournaments, maybe not too small, like between 40 and 50 or even a little bit more players, and you are active, you you make a good place in the rankings. That's how it works. Um, we have a second ranking, which is based on the ELO chess system. And this is about this is a little bit more about player quality. This is um, yeah you like wherever you stand a ranking and you play for example someone who's above you in the ranking you get more points or um, then if you if you played against someone who who's like under your level or on the same level or something you understand what I'm saying the, the elo system should be should be should be um, known by many people. Yeah, I do really like the elo system. It's just a shame that it's hard to get to work in more places really yeah you have to have more information actually you need to to know the result of every game and in comparison to the the national tournament ranking that we have right now where you don't have the results of the the single games but just the tournament result yes that's quite an interesting thing going back a little bit to uh, tournaments and games then how do how are tournament missions normally based over in Germany? Because I know when I came over in July, that was a pure Maelstrom event. Uh, is that kind of the trend, or is it a little towards ETC missions? Or I must say, I'm I'm really pushing the in the community. I'm I'm really pushing the Maelstrom missions because I'm 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 really in favour of these missions in comparison to the uh, Eternal War mission or anything else that someone could uh, come up with. Um, but 
at the moment, um, we had the, the Rhein-Main-Meisterschaften and they, they had a certain, this was like a little bit like the ETC. They had, um, they, they, um, the, their missions are split into primary, secondary, tertiary missions. And the primary is Maelstrom. So this is, uh, I don't know, this is worth 10 points. And the secondary for six points would be Eternal War. And the tertiary missions, like the, is four points. And this was, uh, only, uh, Slater Warlord, Linebreaker, and, um, what's the other thing? First Blood. Yeah, that sounds very similar to what we're doing for the UK GTs at the moment. But we have Eternal War as the primary, Maelstrom as the secondary. So, extremely similar concept, just a slight tweak. Cool. So, moving on to ETC main a little bit. What, I know last year, in Serbia the first year you came away as champions and, it was uh, good <laughs> good feelings all around there. yeah it was yeah, this is uh, it, it fills my heart <laughs> with a warm <laughs> feeling <laughs> it was very nice yeah yeah so that was going back into this year as reigning champions what did you kind of expect before you went what kind of preparation went in beforehand for you guys um perhaps worked quite fine like we begin with our preparation as I, as I told you we begin with like the the preparation for the tournament like from February normally when we pick the first three guys for the team uh, we had different meetings with the team and we had a lot a lot of communication via Skype or via our Google documents where we normally put our our rosters and everything and um, we had a quite good Quite good preparation. We had years where this worked better, but um, it was all right uh, when you look at the the the, um, the few options where we where we could meet. Because we we didn't have like everyone is working. Everyone everyone had to do stuff, and so it was pretty hard to get the team together and um, or in one place to to discuss things or to train. We had uh, three different trainings. And they were quite fine. We had very the good thing about our trainings is always that we find something that does not work, which is excellent, and then we find a solution for that. And this is this is even more important. This is this is why why the trainings are the most important part of it. No, but um, we came in as the champions, right? But this is the third time that we were champions. And um, but we didn't have any any expectations uh, except the regular expectations. For example, we have a list with the countries where we prepared the matchups and everything. And um, I'm not sure how many countries we had this year participating, but we do not prepare all the nations. This is what I'm saying. So you just pick the top mm-hmm. six or seven you expect to play. Canada. No more the top twenty. Ah, okay. Yeah. So quite a varied um, amount. But... Yeah. You know, of course, obviously, we put more effort into some countries and less effort into others. But this is not, I don't want to be offensive concerning the other countries, but this is just how the tournament works. We have a certain expectation how strong some countries are or or not. And this is uh, why we, we prioritize our, our preparation. Yeah, I'm sure no offense will be taken because I know a lot of teams will go into the event for everyone's got different reasons. Some go super competitive trying to win the event. Some just go for a bit of a laugh to meet up with old friends and just for the general experience, really. So, going back to your preparation, did you find 7th edition and that being voted in for a bit of a spanner into your work? Did that affect you in a big way? 
Um, <clears throat> yeah, not really. As you might have noticed in the forums that were like beforehand, the ETC, I really wanted to the, the ETC to be in seventh edition, obviously. Um, I didn't want you to the same the same situation where when we played in Poland, the ETC, where we played an old edition and everyone else was playing a new edition already. And this is what I didn't want to have, and uh, I'm happy that it worked. And but um. I must say, and this is this is like always the same. When we have a new edition, um, with the knowledge of today, even without the new books, Space Wolf, Grey Knight, Stark Elder, uh, we would have made different armies probably. Yeah, I think it's something everyone learned from the ETC this year was <clears throat> how some of the hidden rules people may have missed or some yeah. army concepts that were like, oh, I didn't think of that. That that's quite nice. I like that. No, I find ETC every year we come back with new list ideas and different thoughts in my head so that's one part I enjoy about it personally so another thing then going to this year's how did you find this year's event such as like the venue the space, the terrain and like just gaming and the whole event in general um, the, the like if I have to 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 think about the, the the entire thing, like the trip, the venue, the the whole, the uh, it's a it's a great experience. I, I can recommend to I can recommend this to any war gamer. And I I must say, if there's the option to to um to make the ETC even bigger, like to include more games into it, I'm I'm completely in favor of that because it's just a wonderful wargaming experience, and I can just welcome everybody to 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 experience this at least once because this is my this was my you know, my seventh time at the ETC or something, but uh, I, I I love it. I'm looking forward to it every year, and I'm with putting so much effort in it, and um, so much money as well. So um. I just love the ETC, and this year was, was, I think, as great as last year. So um, Serbia, the Serbish people, the um, Vladimir, I think his name, they do a great job. People are very kind, very warm-hearted, very friendly. And what the only thing that, that comes to my mind, this which would be a minus, is the the roadkill food. That's everything. Yeah, I think the food wasn't amazing this year, but as you were saying, the event as an experience is something I'd recommend to everybody. It's so, you get so many guys from all over the world that all have that one key thing in common, and everyone's happy to chat about it. So I think my first ever game at the ETC was in the singles against you back in Switzerland. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man, yeah. Very and good. We've stayed in touch ever since, and you make friends that last sometimes, which is great kind of feeling but I can't remember that game in too much detail I just remember I just remember that you killed me completely yeah that's about all I remember that's all, all I need to remember <laughs> the most <important> detail <laughs> very good no um, yeah this is you, you, I completely agree I meant uh, there are so many people that I would have never had a chance to meet in any other place so uh, I met so many friends uh, so many good contacts uh, people uh, coming to our place for example when people come you you came to the tournament in Kiel uh, a lot of my French 
Warhammer 40k friends came to Berlin to our team tournament and had a team there and they stayed with us. We drank a lot, had a good time. It was very good. And um, I don't know how to to explain this, but this is, uh, I, I don't want to miss this this entire like fascination for for the hobby in the community. Yeah, I think I think it is kind of VTC kind of gets everyone together in one place and it's a great excuse to meet up with everyone that you only see once a year and friends even people that you may play once but you'll you've always got that game in common it's like a normal event if you play some game one you'll always say hi how are you doing all weekend it's it's the same just years and years after yeah and maybe and maybe there's some things develop like rivalries but like in a good way you know you have some good rivalries there you have some people you you uh you have a you you have an open revenge and everything you know this is so cool this is but this is big fun this is uh this is what 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 gives them all like a little bit more story behind it you know yeah so so there's there's always an interest every year when it's Poland versus Germany which yeah this is always great more often than not (laughs) it's a very good game always and I have my my, I have a few I have a few guys I I want to play again at the Polish teams actually (laughs) and um, as far as I know uh, we are going to send a German team to the Polish national tournament team tournament in January I guess Uh, that'll be good a bit more team bonding and getting to know your neighbours enemies friends yeah, they're friends. I consider them friends. And rivals, of course. All right. So, looking forward after January on to next August in Prague. I'm assuming you're planning to be there yourself. Uh, I, yes, I plan to, to go there, but at the moment I'm not sure if I can go. But but if everything goes go, goes normal, I can go, yeah. But I'm not sure if I'm going to be a player. Ah, so you may just be a coach or a reporter kind of role. No, yeah, more like non-playing captain. Um, but this is not really. This is just a thought at the moment because I noticed this year um, that I could not um, perform in both ways the way I wanted to. I could not perform as captain. I could not supervise all all the game and games and all situation. And this was very important against the uh, against Poland in the game against Poland. And I missed this completely. And this is, uh, was problem in the end and um, same for my, my, my individual games I could uh, like having like half of my mind with the team all the time and with uh, Michael my my coach uh, telling me stuff and I have to think about different things beside my game which is highly complicated against a Polish player um, I cannot perform the same way as I can in single player tournaments where, where I just have to take care of myself you know is that anything down to the partying then? No. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I think obviously you might have noticed that um, um, when we were in Kiel, I, I I obviously need to party a little bit to perform to to perform at uh, to the best of my ability, right? Yeah, I do remember seeing you the Sunday yeah. morning almost dead. And feeling the feeling the same I was way myself. Trying to sleep a little bit on the on the on on the stairs. It was completely okay. <laughs> so yeah, hopefully in Prague next year we'll be able to grab a beer and carry on where we left off in Kiel. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> maybe not that hard, but in a way, yeah, you're right. <laughs> so no, thank you very much for that chat. You're and, welcome. Uh, hopefully we'll have you on again at some point in the future. Yeah, it would be nice. Thank you. Thanks for having me, and uh, keep keep the good work out with the podcast, man. Hi all, joined here by 
Mr. Tony Chu of Team England. Hello. How are you, Tony? Not bad, not bad. Multitasking, a little bit busy. Yeah, you did say you were mid giving your wife a head massage. Which is... Whilst watching the football, whilst keeping the two dogs calm. It's a busy evening. So you must be female multitasking like that. But that's another story. Save that for another night, eh? Yeah. So, moving on to a bit more serious topic. Uh, the ETC. This year was your first year, correct? Yeah, first time with the ETC, yeah. guys, yeah. And so, how did you manage to get into the England team, and how was the team picked to, for you to get in this year? Uh, well, for Team England, like there was a general kind of advert put on the Warhammer forum last sometime last last summer, um, and I just popped along to one of the the open practice weekends they had, um, which they're having up one of the many venues up in Mansfield. I think that last one was at Dreamlight Gaming. Um, just had a chat with a few guys, and then really from there it was. Just pushing to get make myself seen on the you know what was then the 40k tourney scene. So traveling to lots of tournaments, trying to do well with armies that I thought I would be in contention to use if I were picked to go for the team. Um, in terms of how it was picked last year, the, the initial core of the team is, is voted for um, within pre, the previous the, the voted in captain and previous um, non-playing members, and then I was one of the extra I suppose four or five that they had to pick then from to get the final three places. Um, and again, that was just done generally what people were playing, what lists were, were prevalent, you know, who could dig the time up. Um, yeah, and that was generally it. So a call of the team's picked and then they get to go on and pick the rest of the guys, basically. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's tough because I think if you, if you have one person who picks it, I would imagine, you know, you could be accused of bias or just picking your mates. So there's the, there's the captain um, who's voted for within players who've played for the, the team in the past couple of years um, or who've been within that non-playing voting crew. And then those three people um, vote on, on players as, who put their names forward. Obviously, it's, again, it's like I said, you've got to put yourself in contention. You've got to be seen at events. You've got to be playing your lists. and You've got to be showing that you know how to use your army list. You know, they're not expecting you to win every tournament you go to, but you've got to be taking a list and practicing it and showing that you're practicing it. And then obviously they do regular practice weekends across the year, so trying to attend as many of them as possible, um, getting to know the guys again, practicing different lists, taking different things on. If you're asked to try something by a captain or vice, as it is, so. Cool. So, quite. Uh, is there a rough timescale of when the teams picked? Is there a set dates that have, all the votes have to be done by, or is it more a play it by ear, see how the season's going? Last year was very much played by ear because of all the seventh edition nonsense that came in as it went, um, as we went through the year. But the idea is that after the, it's all, all scheduled alongside the GT heats and final system, because obviously um, there's players like um, like Rob Sims and Josh Roberts, um, Alan Elsor, who are involved in the GT team and the running and things like that. So. That gives you a general good idea of what people are playing in. By that time, you usually had Caledonian Open, um, the Death of Glories, at least one of the Birmingham Battlefield Battle of Birmingham. So, yeah, generally along them. But by the end of the GT Heat, they're trying to pick teams because we've got the Home Nations tournament usually around Easter time. So that leads on quite nicely from March when the final usually happens. Um, and generally, it's trying to pick players by then. Cool. So, nice and rough schedule, but... Uh, procedure in place for picking them so looking back a little bit now then to last summer time kind of once you knew you were in the team 
what kind of thing did you expect before you went? What kind of, what did you think the players would be like, the overall experience? Well, I, do you know what? I don't think anybody, if people tell you it's going to be awesome, and I don't think anyone prepares you for just how, well, just what, what nice atmosphere it is. I suppose when you go to 40k tournaments and things like that across the UK, there's always that nice atmosphere of geeks together, and we kind of, you know, you can chat to anybody and talk about armies, talk about how the games have gone. But it's just that on such a massive scale. And to have like the Warhammer tables and the 40k and the Flames of War and all that going on, it was it was absolutely awesome. And it was so sociable in terms of that side of it. I, I absolutely loved it. I thought it was really nice. Um, you know, there was issues around you know, little things like the ve- the food at the venue wasn't very nice. And, you know, travelling across town was sometimes a bit uh, pro- problematic if you didn't know where you were going. But I thought it was really awesome, mate. I mean, it's just a chance to go to somewhere I would never normally, you know, wouldn't pick Serbia off the map to suddenly go and visit for a week. Um, so that was awesome. In terms of the the practice and the prep, I, I've said this to, to friends and players at tournaments before. I think if you go to UK tourneys and you're in the top one or two tables, the kind of thing, the kind of level of player at the end of a five-game tournament weekend is about the same standard as the ETC. But there's no, there's no rubbish. There's no people trying to be gaming in terms of cheating things I think everybody kind of knows the rules everybody knows what they're doing um, you can make a mistake and people are hard with you about it that's always tough to take but generally it's it's a very high very high level of gaming but it's I don't know I've, you know you, people talk about it so much you're worried if you're going to be at the right standard I think I did okay for my first year um, I lost one and I managed to win all my other ones with the Raven Wings so I was quite pleased with that but no, I think it's you just need to practice. And you need to be ready. Going, know, know going in how your army works, what you're going to do. You have to know what everybody else's army does. Do you know what I mean? Um, get yourself on the side. But the standard is it's it's not as far away as you might think. Maybe that's a good way to put it. Yeah, I I, I, agree. I think now and again when you play some of the top teams, they, they are t- really tough games. But everyone yeah. is like you say, so nice and sociable. And then the player level. I think if you've got a lot of guys over here who are good, because we're quite a small country, it's quite compact. Yeah. A lot of the good players play each other a lot over and over, which I think does help. Like the UK as a scene. You see, this is it. I'd pick some, you know, players like like I know like yourself and Gaz Jones out of the Welsh team, for example, who were smashing people with your um, playlist last year. I'd pick you guys in the top tables of a tourney. I know that's going to be a tough game, but it's going to be sociable. Is there going to be no, you know, crap of anybody trying to pull any little shenanigans? But it's going to be a tough and a fair game. And uh, I think that's that's genuinely my feeling the whole weekend. There's some players that I felt, you know, from from maybe the less heavyweight countries of the ETC, one or two made little mistakes in games that we played. Um, and the toughest game I had was probably against Poland. Um, when I played Ken there, Space Moon Bike Player, that was that was that was a really good game there. Um, no, yeah, I, I just thought it's it's such a great atmosphere, and it's for, the, for anybody who's never done it to play in a playing a 40k team tournament is so different on that kind of scale to a solo single tournament. You know, because it's just kind of I don't know, it's it's a little bit more pressure in some ways, but it's just so much more enjoyable if you guys can get a win or get a result and. And you're all, rather than just sitting around and telling the stories about how your individual game went, it's how the team did and how the points you can pull through. It's just great. I, w- I would recommend it for anybody who is interested. Yeah, I do find that like in a normal tournament, you may get a bad game here or there. Whereas in a team event, you're like, okay, this is a bad matchup. 
I yeah. need to play to lose, but try and get as big a loss as possible. Whereas in a singles event, you may go, screw it, I'm going to try this. If it comes off, I might be able to win. And, and that's that's a nice pressure to have as well, going into a game, knowing like, okay, I'm the first put out, uh, first put forward, I'm expected to get five points at least. So you know you don't have to win that game. Do you know what I mean? I, I suppose to a singles tournament where you don't win that game, well, there goes your chances of doing well in the tournament or... You know, depending on where it is, that's the difference between you coming on a podium finish or just coming middle of the pack. So it's it's really, really interesting. Um, yeah. Yeah, completely different dynamic. And then moving forwards towards next year's event, I know things have had a little bit of a shake-up and changed around in the England camp. Do you want to just briefly go through that? Well, I, th- I think historically... Um, as we've been moving forward over the years, the captains just kind of organised everything for the England team. Um, and that's a lot to organise. You know, once you start adding in all things like ETC registration and flights and accommodation, um, sorting out lists, playing matrices, sorting out how you pair up, practice weekends. I mean, God, it's 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 a lot to do on your own. So, you know, the England team has been shaking that around. We're looking at having um, somebody who's going to be sort of I won't say coach because that's kind of like, like the third man role that we have, but also like a assistant manager type role where we have somebody who's going to be helping the captain organising that and people who are selected for the team are going to be getting more involved, taking on things like looking at accommodation, flights, sorting team t-shirts, sorting out practice weekends. Little things that if you delegate it out, it makes everybody's life a little bit easier. Um, and the other thing is just to make it a, a little bit more regular in terms of the, the practice we have over the year. We're trying to have some regular practice weekends. We're going to be asking, well, everybody who's interested in the Warhammer community who wants to get involved in the team or be involved in the team for the future to put themselves forward. I mean, even if you can't come to the this tournament next summer, but you'd be interested for the future, come along, come along to the practice events. I know there's plans to have a, a kind of a miniature team tournament to get people used to that put forward prey format if you've never done it before. Um, so that's the big changes this year and I would hope that would help with the rate at which we get armies and new new lists and new formations in 7th the more practice we can get the more players we can get the easier it will be to practice with that with that core team that eventually ends up going Yeah. so going towards next year are you hoping to be in the team yourself? Uh, absolutely yeah I mean um, like I said it was my first time last year and I think my, my big thing was don't go and be crap with the army that you picked. Because with, with, with 7th edition coming, we had a perfect set of lists for 6, where I was happy I had a Tau Eldar combo. I was going to be kind of, you know, second, third, put forward. That all changed around, and it was a real last minute that we went back to Ravenwing, which is something that I've been using all the way through qualification. And I was so worried about doing badly with them. Um, and actually, like I said, I did all right. I, you know, I'm a, <laughs> I described the elation at getting a 20-0 on my first game. That was That was a good feeling. So, going good forward, I hope that record will stand me in good stead. But it's just a question of, you know, who's going to apply for the team? Who's going to want to do the same armies that I'm doing? Um, and, and I think, you know, it's, it's players to suit roles within the team as well. So, I think you have to be flexible if you want to play in a team format like that. You can't come in and go, for example, I'm going to just, I can only play Space Marines. But if you do, if you do say that and that's all you play, then, you know there might not be a place for you if there's somebody else that plays Space Marines and is doing it slightly better than you or has having better results or is more flexible. Do you know what I mean? There's so many factors that creep in. Um, Everyone's got to adapt to their own little role and maybe well, play slightly outside the comfort zone. 
I think the idea with the team, you know, especially going forward, is this year get everybody involved, have everybody contribution to all aspects of the team. Um, and I think you've just got to be flexible. Most, I think most people now have that, that by that time point, by the time you, you know, you want to travel to a different country for a team tournament, you've got at least a couple of 40k armies. I don't know about you, but I've got, I've got like five different armies. Yeah. That I can easily lay out 3,000 points worth on the table. A few too many myself as well. Well, this is it. So, I mean, you know, I think everybody's got a list that they love to play or that they know is the tournament meta, but that's not always going to be the way. And you've got to. I was flexible last year. There was points where I was playing, like I said, that Tau Eldar. I looked at doing a guard space marine or a guard gun list, a Tau gun line list. And then eventually we decided that for we needed more prey lists, so we went with the Ravenwing because it was quite scary um, for some armies at the time. So, yeah, that, that's the other thing. You know, if you want to get involved, just be flexible. Say, so I can do lots of different lists, try different things. And, you know, it's not like somebody's going to be there watching you to, you know, if you do badly in a tournament or you don't do well with an army list, that they're going to go, right, that's it. We're not interested in speaking to you. It's just getting involved and having fun with it, really. Yeah, so like a big social event. And then... Well, I think that's the big thing. Like, the, at the, that end of weekend uh, night out and the, on the Sunday night after you've done your games... ATC, that's a big deal. Oh, um, that, just... that was a messy, messy night. <laughs> but but uh, it, it's it's everybody's under a lot of pressure, and, and it's because you do you don't want you don't want to do badly. You don't want to let the rest of the team down after paying all that money. You know, some some countries travel far, far, far longer and for more money than we paid, and you just think you want to go, you want to enjoy yourself, but you want to do well, like anybody. I don't think anybody goes to a forty k tournament to come last, unless you know the. Uh, the last place wooden spoon prize is particularly awesome. Yeah, it's a very good point. Although no, we do have a interview with the team Iceland who have come last, but yet won best sport in the last two years. That'll be part of this podcast, possibly oh, okay. before or after this. So, a bit of an insight into the way they work. But it's not, as you say, it's not going aiming to come last and doing the best they can. They just aren't the best at it. But they still I have. remember one of the Iceland guys telling me how when they, the year Tau came out, they really wanted to field some Tau. And Tau were awesome in that year when they came out, but but they didn't have any Tau in in Iceland. They couldn't get access to it, so they just had to go. Oh, sorry. <laughs> yeah, that that does come up as well. I think they had the Heldrakes was well was an issue at the time. Oh man. Cool. Anyway, I will look forward to speaking to you, possibly about some point in the future, from just events in the UK. But definitely see you in Prague next year, hopefully. Indeed, dude. Okay. I'm sure I'll see you before then. I'm sure we'll arrange something. <laughs> yeah. Thank you very much, Tony. Hi all, joined here by Thomas Donsland from Team Denmark. Hi Thomas. Hello Matt. How are you doing? Uh, I'm fine, thank you. And how are you today? I'm good, thank you. So I know you may be recognisable to a few listeners from being at Nova this year, but you're also a member of the Danish ETC team, correct? Yes. I just got uh, picked for the team uh, a few days ago, so that's quite quite recent. Cool. Have you been to an uh, ETC before then, or is this going to be your first time? Uh, uh, this, this will be my first ETC. Uh, last year I had uh, started in 40k again. So it was a bit, a bit new, but I was following on the sideline. And, and This, this year been the first. Uh, that's cool. So how did you go about getting picked for the team this year then? Can you explain the selection process a little bit? Yes. 
So in Denmark, we have uh, an ETC qualifier, which is a team tournament held uh, every year. It's actually held this past weekend, uh, the 25th and 26th of October, where 10 teams uh, participate. Uh, each team has five players. Uh, there's a two-source uh, structure for each army list, and no codex must maybe used more than once. Supplement. Uh, and yeah, there's five rounds, and the winning team uh, gets to decide the eight players going to ETC. Cool. So is uh, it? Sorry. So, so is it the winning team of five? Are they the team, and they pick the other three members? Yes, and sometimes there are some of the five players from the winning team who don't, do not want to go. Uh, this year, uh, the team won had a uh, Swedish ETC player on the team. Uh, and therefore, they had to choose, uh, which of course cannot go for the Danish team. Uh, therefore, they had to choose four, four, four more players for the team. So, so were you part of that winning team this year then or were you one of the ones chosen to be part of the team? Are you still there? Yeah, so I think the connection is going out a little bit. Uh, I, was okay. just, I was just asking, are you part of the team that won then or were you picked to be part of the team? Yeah, sadly, uh, my team didn't win. Uh, we were very much uh, focused upon winning and going into the team tournament, uh, there was four teams who had a, a chance of winning, and then two more teams who had really good lists, but maybe not so much experience. Uh, so it was actually quite a, a strong field, and probably the strongest field has ever been in Denmark. Oh. Uh, uh, the, the one it was uh, so made up of uh, players from last year's ETC, including one Swedish player, and then there was another team was also quite good of players who had gone to ETC for, in the past, and there was two mixed teams of uh, players from the ETC experience, uh, including me, the same team was me, uh, and uh, another team with auto ETC experience. So it was more or less down to us four uh, to decide it. Uh, but uh, sadly we didn't win, we, we lost uh, our very first game to one of the top contender teams um, and then we, we did manage to pull it back uh, remaining four matches we got we closed some of the gap but not, not all of it ah, so well congratulations on making the team and commiserations on the event so do the do you have much preparation that goes into the event then do you have a lot of training weekends or is it just a couple of set get togethers and list planning yeah yeah um, and we had a lot of training. Uh, we had a tremendous amount of training and practice. So, and so what we did was um, we actually did this as a bit, a bit of a practice also for the regular ATC because I hoped uh, that one way or other I would make the team this year. Um, and uh, so we did a lot of uh, uh, deciding upon having five lists that we thought could uh, handle most situations and uh, was robust in putting forward and not putting forward and uh, counters and so on uh, and then uh, once the list was revealed uh, had practice matches against uh, different list of the opponents uh, or the three other good teams uh, that we had to focus upon to, uh, we had to beat to, to get there uh, so specific matchups for instance I was um, very likely to meet uh, uh, one of the uh, uh, 
hence of practice that uh, and also that and, and I want them to match those those good practice. I think probably had maybe uh, uh, my my team probably had thirty to fifty practice matches up to this uh, tournament. So quite a lot of input beforehand then. Do you think the level of practice you put in for that team event will carry through for the main ETC team going towards next year's event in Prague? The same kind of level of effort beforehand? I actually think we need more effort. Uh, we need to put in more effort for that. Um, I um, I think some of the effort putting into this uh, tournament here uh, actually um, was also kind of me testing up up of different matchup strategies and different matchup tactics. Uh, uh, so that that effort can certainly uh, carry over, and that experience can certainly carry over to the to the C team because that is eight games that have to match up. This is only five games, so, so it was a good good way of of, of testing some different principles, uh, and they worked quite well most of them. So yes, I think we can carry over. Cool, that's good to hear. And is there any other plans that you guys have going forward towards next year, or is the ETC process of picking the team and that kind of thing going to stay the same, carrying on? Um, going forward for next year, I think the, the option is a very long period now uh, to decide on this and decide on uh, matchups and all of this stuff. Uh, so, for time I'm being a long period of of of, uh, of deciding on list and uh, for instance, I, I'm going to try out different uh, a lot of different kind of uh, combos and uh, army compositions and, uh, and and do some experiments uh, to test out the, the, of different builds. Uh, so be um, yeah, we'll use the time extensively for, for that purpose and the same same for the team. Uh, so I think this is the longest. Uh, preparation period we have ever had so I also expect we'll get better results at least that's ambition anyways. that sounds good so best of luck to you guys going forward to Prague next year and I hope to see you then soon thank you and likewise see you in Germany, in Germany or in England cool thank you very much Tom. hi everybody joined here by Tom Adriani ex-captain of the Belgian team Belgium is that right that's right You've been outvoted for the next year's event. No, no, no. I stepped down basically because uh, I have a new uh, girl in my life. So I uh, spend lots of time with that. It's an international relationship. So yeah, I uh, had to make a choice, either the honey or the plastic toys. So you, you know how that one went. <laughs> I'm just happy that uh, Nick stepped up to take over my position. So ah, uh, so you now have a dwarf as captain. Yes, the mighty dwarf takes over. Cool. So, how uh, how was that captaincy role chosen? How was Nick chosen as captain, or was it just he was the only one to step forward for the team? Yeah, so basically he was the only candidate to step forward, but um, we always do everything in a democratic way. So we meet up uh, after the ETC, like two or three weeks after ETC, and then invite the whole community, and we basically have a vote for uh, who they want amongst the candidates. So it's a very democratic process, basically. So is the team selection kind of a similar process then, or does the captain have a bit more of a say in that then? Well, this evolves every year, so we've tried different approaches. So, um, yeah, basically in the past it was just the people that were available or willing to go to the DC that were picked. 
So it was not based on player strength or anything like that, just who had the money to go and was willing to go. Um, but, um, yeah, we've having, we've been having more and more candidates step up. So it's, it's having, uh, we're getting more difficulties, uh, trying to put in a system that's a bit fair and honest for everybody. So I think the approach this year is that, um, the captain will actually make the choice of the players, uh, based on a whole set of different criteria, like a commitment to the team and stuff like that. So it's not only player strength that's going to be the, the main decisive factor. So. But uh, I think the captain will, will be the main uh, part uh, focusing on, on team selection. In the past, it was always like um, more of a, a team veteran kind of thing. So the veterans decided who was going to make up the team. Like last year, I picked four players by January. And then those four players decided amongst them who would be the other four players on the team. But uh, yeah, that didn't quite work out in the end because there was one. Uh, there were two players left for the final position. So in the end, we had a vote, which was a tie. And then I had to be, as a captain, the tiebreaker. So I couldn't quite choose between either one because there were reasons to pick one over the other. So I just rolled a die. And then in the end, that player that was picked stepped off the team last moment. So it turned out that it wasn't a good decision after all. So uh, we, we stepped away from that this year. So Nick is going to be the one who will decide who makes it. Team. So so no more rolling dice to decide who's on the team? No, that's a definite <laughs> no-go anymore. <laughs> cool. So you said that you've had a, a lot, quite a lot of democratic and everyone has meetups. And I know from being on, part of the Team Belgium group on Facebook, mm-hmm. you have a lot of practice weekends arranged throughout the year. Uh, how do you guys go about the preparation? How many, roughly, how many do you have? What kind of things you're up to? Yeah, so we try to have one every month, basically. Sometimes you have more, but um, basically it's just one every month. And um, about ten to fifteen people sign up every time. Um, and then um, we just discuss beforehand on the forums um, what kind of matchups we would want, what army everybody's taking, and then uh, we do specific matchups or or um yeah stuff that we want to test or try out so it's uh yeah very easy going and natural actually so people just show up and we just discuss amongst us what we're going to do or what not uh, we have some ideas this year to improve uh to improve on something so we would like to have like special deployments like how to deploy versus dropout armies and stuff like that so we're focusing more on those kind of things like training classes just, kind of yeah exactly exactly to, because, you know, we have a very small scene, almost nobody's playing dropout wolves, so we don't get much into the position to train or practice against them, so we're including that to make sure that everybody gets the basic info out of, uh, out of those sessions, you know, out of th- those training sessions, so that's what we're trying to focus our, our attention to more this year, because we've seen in the past that this sometimes bites us in the ass when we get those kind of matchups, so trying to get more experience and knowing how to cope with certain matchups then. Yeah, that we know are bound to to happen. So, but uh, like we said, we are a bit here. We are a bit stuck with uh, whatever everybody's playing, and um, you know, not all the medalists are played here. So we we have some gaps in uh in how to handle some some armies. So we need to work on on filling that gap, which is basically what's going to happen this year. Cool. So I know you you're saying you have one every month, roughly. Are they mm-hmm. all in a set location, or do you have them in different locations throughout the country? Different. Gaming stores or clubs? Yeah, so it's a, it's a mix of people finding venues or uh, asking their gaming store 
if they can have the the venues hall for a weekend or or a day or something. So it's basically happening all over the country. So I'm going to a tournament on Sunday in the Walloon part of Belgium, which is a French-speaking part, because those guys are not very involved with the team at the moment. So to try and organize some training days there there as well, so those guys can see what it's all about and what we're trying to do. Uh, but uh, mostly everybody is looking for uh, for things. So it can be up north in Bruges or in Ostend, or it can be in a center in Brussels or in Leuven, where I'm from, or in Antwerp. So it's, it's a bit everywhere. We try to make sure that everybody who cannot travel far and uh, has like a limited budget like students can also make those training days at least once or twice per year. So Cool. So I know you're saying there you have some like French-speaking group. And just for our American listeners, because mm-hmm. I know they're quite geographically challenged in some cases uh what kind of is there a bit of a split between the two language barriers and like you're saying the french-speaking guys aren't too involved with the team are the other guys more involved um yeah so basically the team is is mostly made up by uh flemish people so dutch-speaking guys um there's not a lot of um french-speaking people except like a couple uh, there's like Lionel and then Mark and Jonathan who've been on the team for years now who are more from the Brussels region, so it doesn't really count. Um, but um, yeah, no, those uh, Walloon players are not really involved and uh, it's 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 difficult to see why because we see them at tournaments at times. They know that there's an ETC. Uh, there's been some Walloon guys that have been part of the team in previous years, like Rafael. He made a part of the team in uh, Switzerland. So... Yeah, I don't know why those guys are not really involved. So that's part of the reason why I'm going there on Sunday to meet up with those guys and uh, try to stir their interest again. Cool. So that sounds good. So that's your pre-build up to the event. How do you guys find the actual event? Because I know you're one of the teams who you get some teams like the Germany and Poland who are going there, super serious, going to win. And then there's some teams who are purely there for a laugh to catch up with friends. What's kind of your team's output on that? Well, we're mostly there for the beers and giggles, but um, that's set aside that uh, we do take it seriously and we practice a lot because we also want to perform well, you know. So a lot of time and effort goes into that. I mean, I think last year we prepared really a lot. Um, it's just a shame that we chose 7th edition over 6th edition because I think we were a lot more prepared to play DTC in 6th edition than in 7th. Um, but um, yeah, like I said, our problem is that we have a very limited scene and... Uh, a uh, very select pool of players that are used to playing at a high level. So um, it's difficult to get good games in and high-level games in and really know how to deal with certain situations that come across almost in every game at ETC. So we know we have some players who will drop a lot of points. So uh, we we tone down our ambitions because we know we, we cannot really deal with the, the big shots. I mean, I think if you ever make top 10, that will be half of a miracle, but... Uh, doesn't mean that we don't have the ambition to at least try and aim for that. So no, so you're kind of go enjoy yourselves, but do do your country proud, do the best you can while whilst enjoying yourselves. Exactly, exactly. But the the main reason to go there is just have to have four or five days uh, among friends to, and uh, drink some beers and have some good moments. I mean, that's the main reason why we're there. Yeah, so. I found a lot of people who have done brief interviews for this episode have said they enjoy the games, enjoy everything, but the social side is completely the best part of it and not quite what they expect because a lot of guys look at the ETC and go oh they're all just wacky bastards I don't want to go play those guys whereas like I found like you said yourself then 
everyone's friends, such a good atmosphere, such a good feeling of the event. Yeah, basically, it's the only reason why I keep coming back. I mean, if it wasn't for all you guys and all the friends I've made, I mean, I think I, I wouldn't have been there the, these past few years or put have so much time into DTC and helping out. I mean, the, there's just this, this atmosphere around it that uh, is difficult to describe if you haven't experienced it. But uh, I love all the guys who, who make part of it, so I think I'll be involved with that for years and years to come. So, Cool. So, looking at moving forwards, are there any plans for next year that are any different than normal for going to Prague for Team Belgium or is it carry on as usual? Well like I said we've been optimizing the process around the team uh, slowly um, we've been picking up things over the years to to make the way we work more efficient so there are some things that are different uh, it's small things basically like I said these training days and focus on different areas and uh, Maybe not uh, trying to have like pickup games, but more like focus pairing and stuff like that. Um, also having more people involved with the pairing because in the past it was only me doing that. But like this year, there were some issues ar uh, around the team that they didn't really understand why I did certain pairings. So I think they should get more involved to have more of a grasp on how it really works and uh, what are the issues involved, why you cannot put something forward because it will fuck you up later in the pairing. And so people don't really see that in our team. So that's kind of an issue. So we're going to work more on that. So there's like million and one things that we're doing different uh, this year. So like I said, the, the team selection will also be a bit different. So the captain will be the one putting the focus on the lists and uh, the players. So we'll see how that goes. And every year it's a bit different and we try to make it work a little bit better. There is also more structure around it, like we're putting on a non-profit organization around the team now to have like insurance and all that stuff, so to make it a bit more official. We're putting house rule, household rules in, in, in play and all that. Uh, we're trying to involve now the more the Walloon players as well, so we are slowly picking up uh, picking up stuff. We, are, we have some sponsors since uh, since a few years, so it's slowly it's improving our quality as a team, I think, so. In, uh, in all aspects so that's good so cool that sounds like you're really well organized well prepared going forward uh, mm -hmm. just want to say thank you very much for joining me and i will see you in prague next year hopefully yeah i hope so too okay. thanks hi all matt robertson again here joined by christoph pisch from team poland I almost hope I... almost christoph pisch Close hello yeah. yeah so we're sat here at the end of heat two which is flown all the way over from poland for so how did you find the event, just quickly? Uh, nice, nice. Similar to Poland, had a nice night out with guys to, yesterday, so all the basic elements of a tournament, some plays, some, some beer, some, some chat. Yeah, cool. General things, cool. So this is going to be a quick 10 minute or so ETC interview, just an insight into Team Poland, the current reigning champions and how they do things. So, first off, how is the Polish team initially chosen? Uh, we have a league which consists of all tournaments which uh, are willing to post their votes into the league, which is most tournaments run in Poland because everybody just seems to get in and, and post, the, post the scores. So uh, after a year, uh, five, five top people get automatic qualification. If they don't turn down, they will chat about it and pick uh, three remaining players, pick a captain uh, or from among themselves or from the guys they pick as the three remaining guys, then the eight guys agree on, upon a coach. 
that's about in so not sure. the top five basically then get to pick the next yeah. three yeah exactly so what kind of pre-event preparations put in a lot of practice weekends or list testing that kind of thing uh basically we chat about it when we try to get together but it's getting uh, more and more difficult with everybody has having their lives so uh, this year we done one practice weekend which was at my house and we had seven players there so quite a good result majority of the team then. yeah majority of the team we did some you know uh, list testing how this goes against this and then uh, before that and after that uh, people in different uh, in different towns are just meeting with someone from the team or some people they think they are good enough to test with and just running the ideas which we post on the forum which we have so a lot of little practice games then just one big meet up near um, the end to finalize a few little points kind of thing yeah it's it's getting it's getting troublesome to to do uh, iron out the details because uh, we're getting a little time together so we try to meet up at events as many people as can come at, at, to at today and chat about it because on the forums, you can not do everything which you can do in, in real life. So basically, we try to get much practice as possible, but it's uh, here and there. Every player try to, tries to find himself a sparring partner and just run the ideas. So, and getting together is a bonus. So sounds good. Uh, so, how many times is it Poland have won the ETC now? Two or three, don't remember. A few times, so they're regarded as one of the powerhouses in Europe, more or less. Regarded yeah. as one of the better teams. Yeah, exactly. So what were your expectations, knowing that yourself, or knowing how others think of yourselves? What were your expectations before you went to Serbia this year? Uh, we were confused, as everybody, because it was changing edition. Uh, we expected the unexpected because uh, we, know, we knew that we wouldn't be trained as much uh, as well as previous years and we knew that everybody else wouldn't be trained as much as, uh, as in previous years but we were pretty confident that we will handle this better than some teams. For example, England, we know they had loads of preparations for the sixth and for the seventh they just went in as everybody else so they wasted a lot of time and were cross about it as you could hear yeah, on some forums. <laughs> I think there's quite a few teams were just a bit unexpected with 7th coming a couple of months after. Yeah, uh, after the ETC I heard some uh, some uh, arguments because I didn't follow the discussion because I thought there was no point putting another voice that way or that way. I just waited for the result. But I was really convinced by the argument for the Australians that it's a big cash investment to, to, to prepare and then when you change the um, the rules they, they just are left out dry so that that would have convinced me to, 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 to stick to six but I'm happy that it went to seven because um, you might remember how it went two years ago in Poland everybody knew there were yeah. new uh, new rules but everybody pretended not to know them yeah. <laughs> everyone was a little bit bored when it was back in fifth yeah exactly sixth. exactly uh, we are hopefully going to have the Australian captain on for an interview at some point as well. Oh. So we'll go a bit more into that side of things from him and how well, that affects his actual team yeah, and that kind of thing. I, I think we should hear from the teams which are travelling most because 
that what makes the ETC fun, seeing people from other parts of the world. Yeah, like we would never have met and we yeah. ended up actually playing, it was a really fun game, just... <laughs> yeah. End it like it ended, you yeah. know. Like, we'll go into detail on that in a, in a section of this episode, uh, hopefully. So, what did you think of Serbia as a place before we go into the games? The uh, you know, it was good, good place to run an event. There were like some uh, uh, pubs, some uh, something to get. Uh, there was enough hostels for for people, so it was a good place. Uh, but the ride in was a pain because it's not uh, Europe. So for uh, no, it's Europe. Sorry, but it's not uh, European Union. So. Uh, it was problematic to get there for 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 us to, to, to catch some planes. It's not central, so it's not perfect in that in that sense. But other than that, cheap and and uh, basically all what is needed is there. So and the, the and the venue is cool. Because all it's the necessities big, and yeah, big exactly. spacious venue. That was really nice having the individual tables this year as well. Yeah, so you could walk around your board nice and easily. So yeah. How did you find then? Knowing it was a bit unexpected and seven was quite new, how did you find the games you had? Like close games, tough games, fun? Uh, tough, fun games. But as you know, I was put up as a second pick, and everybody just tried to avoid Skark. So I got all the people expecting twenty nulls and just you know getting me thrown around the room. <laughs> so yeah, it was a bit. A bit rough. A bit rough, yeah. It was a rough experience because uh, normally uh, you're not used to playing every game on the losing side. And it takes a special mindset to get it done properly. Yeah. You have to have the mentality that, right, okay, I'm not trying to win this game. I'm just trying uh, to get as many points for my team, for my friends. Yeah, exactly. And when it's against you and you end up with another nul, uh, you feel bad despite uh, knowing that you couldn't do much more, so yeah. it's a tough experience to lose. Yeah, but even talking of losing, uh, in the end, Poland came out top, reigning champions again. What was yeah. that? What was the feeling like behind that? Just yeah, we were really, really excited about it because uh, from last year, everybody who went and everybody who supported the team went like really disappointed after beating Germany and then just uh, falling to, to, to Spain. So uh, we didn't want to repeat that. We were just really careful to, to, to take one game at a time and to make sure that we, that we win. And to tell you the truth, we didn't expect to go 6-0, but when it happened, uh, we were just you know thrilled with joy. <laughs> uh, I'll be honest, we didn't expect as a Team Wales to be up there. Yeah, against but, Poland top table last yeah, game but, that was... but you have a solid team it's like uh, we spoke about it there and um, and later on it's just like you manage to get a group which uh, glues together well which is always a plus side for a team and the players are solid uh, one of your players has won the DSC so that counts for something yeah. and basically here in England you mix and uh, and match with the English players on level footing yeah. so there's a lot of ETC teams in the UK for those abroad that don't know are 
we do travel a lot to other events, so there's a lot of intermingling and a lot of talk, a lot of good friendship. Yeah, and, and, and you get practice from that, so we expected you to do well after winning the Six Nations. Yeah, that was such a good feeling at the end of that. Yeah, I can imagine, um, you know, because I, I think you have a friendly river. I can't pronounce that. Uh, relationship. Yeah, yeah, relationship with the English and, and so on. So it's does it feel good to win with them? Yeah, it was just to, <laughs> just to get one over. It was good after okay. the last few years. Okay, okay, and so uh, oh, next question. Yeah, maybe. so looking forward, probably going to wrap it up here. Yeah. Uh, ETC next year. What are the plans going forward? Anything big or just carry on as usual? Uh, we changed uh, the um, tournament year schedule because before and before last year we had like a season starting in uh, April, Ma April and ending in uh, April, something April, May, and it was like team selection was three months before uh, before the event, and we thought it was too little time. Now we're ending uh, the. Uh, the whole league after Christmas so basically it will give us half a year to prepare and we are hoping that will give us better preparation for next year uh, but with the Games Workshop uh, release schedule <laughs> nobody knows at the moment <laughs> yeah exactly so we will see how it works but uh, we're we're trying to be uh, prepared. That's why we changed these uh, the schedules just to uh, do the same as Germans do because they have similar. They start selecting uh, around uh, February, I think. So that sounds good. Thank you very much for joining us this brief interview. Uh, hope to see you next year in Prague and we'll safe come. trip home. Yeah, you too. Cheers. Hi, all joined here by. Josh Diffie, captain of Team Australia. Hi, Josh. Hey, mate. How you doing? I'm good, thank you. I just want to say thank you very much for taking the time to come and join us. I know it's been difficult trying to get a time that suits us both. Yeah, that time difference sucks a bit sometimes, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> for, for everyone who's interested, Josh is just wake up, waking up eating his breakfast and I'm chilling out, getting ready to go to sleep. So, just a little bit of a difference. Yes, got uh, got working a little bit, but uh, you know, we, it's one of those things. It's forty uh, k. It's where we where we live, right? <laughs> yeah, that's uh, just just on that point. Uh, what's the Hammer House for everyone who doesn't know? Uh, the Hammer House. Uh, so we had um, a, a pretty wicked uh, gaming venue uh, over in Melbourne, in Australia, called uh, Roma Legends. Which is running for a couple of years, and um, you know it's it was as big, if not bigger than um, uh, than I guess Hammer House, sorry, um, Games Workshop, um, uh, Warhammer World. Sorry, just uh, waking up here. Uh, yeah, it's uh, about about the same size as Warhammer World. So there's quite a, quite a few few tables, and, and everyone game there, and then then it closed, and no one had a place to go. So I bought a bunch of tables and started playing hammers outside of my house uh and um yeah the club sort of grew from there and it basically just started as all the competitive gamers that still wanted to play games um just come around to my place playing games talking talking crap having some drinks and then um evolved into 
quite a large club scene um, across uh, three states and and two countries, I guess. So um, your house was the gaming venue for quite a lot of people? Yes, yes. So it was a two-bedroom apartment, which um, the li- it was basically a shoebox, but the living room, um, when I moved everything out of the way, had enough room for three tables. So... Um, yeah, basically, uh, we actually ran a small event out of my um, uh, a twelve player knockout event on four by fours um, out of my out of my living room and backyard. Um, it was it was a, a tight squeeze. Uh, I won't lie, <laughs> um, but uh, yeah. And then then um, then we moved and got a bigger place and had a had a garage and um, yeah, it's just uh, evolved into. A club, basically. Um, so but it's anyone, one of those things. For anyone short in space who wants a gaming club, you recommend different room. Pretty much. Um, you've got to do it. I think you've got to start a club like that when you're single. I won't lie, because um, uh, it's you know now that uh, now that I'm not single, it was a uh, a bit more difficult um, to have the entire house taken up by nerds. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's fun, you know, it's, it's good to have people around. Um, but yeah, I, it was it just evolved, just evolved. I mean, one of the things that we, I guess, tried pretty hard was that because a lot of clubs still existed, but weren't really having many gaming nights, um, you know, our club kind of just evolved to be a lot of people's second club. So um, we had a lot of people that I guess would classify themselves as Hammer House members, but um, were also members of other clubs. Um, so we didn't give a rat's. It was just come play games and um, see how we go. Cool. So going on to ECC then, uh, you guys came over in Poland? 2012. Yeah, Poland was the first one. Yeah, so what, what was your thoughts before you went there, what were you expecting? Because I know that's a bit of a way to travel. Like, how did you guys first find out about and plan going? Yeah, so um, ETC uh, had been spoken about a couple of times prior to that uh, and basically just never got traction. Um, couldn't really get more than you know three or four players that were willing to put in the money um, to go that far. Because to put in perspective, it's, it's, it's quite a lot of money to fly there. Um, and a lot of people, um, you know, that to justify going to ETC, you kind of have to make a holiday out of it. Um, cause you, it's just too much to go there for, you know, the weekend and fly back. Um, so then you've also got to take off work, accommodation and other flights. Cause you know, let's face it. If you're going to, if you're going to go all the way to Europe, you're going to see a few countries. Um, so the first year when we went to Poland, um, uh, it was it was an eye opener. Uh, I mean, we 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 got, we didn't really have that much preparation. Um, it you know it was one of those things that we've got. We had people from pretty much every state in Australia, um, which um, it's it's yeah just not manageable. I mean, we have um, I think the biggest we have is a three hour time difference between one end of the country and the other end of the country. Um, so it might be two hours. Um, but that's half of your yeah. week, basically. 
Yeah, yeah. Well, that's that's the thing. I mean, we're we're pretty much, um, you know, if you, if you looked at uh, if you looked at Europe and you looked at Australia, I'm pretty sure Europe fits in Australia, uh, or at least most of it. Um, but, you know, I, I think a lot of people also don't realize just how, many, how much fucking desert we have in and the middle. Dangerous um, animals. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's it's one of one of my favorite uh, favorite things is uh, when we when when I go traveling is to try and convince people of made up animals that. That, that don't exist as well. Uh, I mean, we, we have enough. We have enough real animals, um, but hoop snakes and drop bears are quite entertaining. Um, for those out there playing at home, you should uh, should Google them. They're uh, they're good. Hoop snake can outrun a car. Yeah. Oh dear. If you, if you believe that. Um, yes. Uh, but yeah. So we got there, and I mean, we. Uh, our first year, we won two rounds, lost two rounds, and drew two rounds, and came. Um, uh, I think there were if it was the perfectly just in the top half. So I think there was thirty-two players, thirty-two teams in Poland, uh, in which case we came sixteenth. Um, it was something like that anyway. If it was thirty, we came fifteenth. But it was basically the the halfway, just on the on the on the right side. Um, which we were pretty happy with because uh, there was there was quite a few players that um, um, that I think they were well aware. Um, I won't specifically name them, but uh, that they were aware that they they were more there to fill the team out because we were very keen on at least our first year um, being a 100% Australian team. We didn't want to have um, uh, Mercs, you know. If we for our first year we wanted to to give anyone and anyone a chance to um to, to represent but uh we were we were definitely um out outgunned in the in the in the first two rounds um uh by i think it was sweden round one um uh who we've played um both both etcs now um uh, and i think finland um they are I think they were the ones that beat us in round one uh, and two, and then we then we um, went on the up on uh, day two. But I'm telling you, telling you now, the the night of day one, I think we're all a little down. <laughs> yeah, um, I going all that way just to get lost, to, to get two losses uh, straight off the bat. But um, but the, yeah, it was all about um, the social aspect for us, at least for the first year, and just getting an idea of of how it all worked. Um, the pairings uh, exercise wasn't uh, completely unfamiliar to us because we run a tournament called the Australasian Team Challenge, um, which is basically an ETC format, but uh, instead of countries, you've got states in Australia and New Zealand. Um, uh, but so we, we we were familiar with the pairing system, but the thing is over here, um, the biggest we've got uh, with that format is eight teams. Um, when you have all states and New Zealand showing up, so you can you can quite comfortably read through all the army lists um, and do pairing exercises as a group because you you've you've got your state near you, so you can you can see the players. It's very hard to do that that process um, uh, with people in different states. Cool. So with you being so spread out, does that make it difficult for you guys picking the teams? For who um, over? You would think so. Um, you would think it would make it hard to justify, you know, one player over another player. But the one of the the downsides 
of ETC for us is because it costs so much, it does end up being a little bit who can afford to go. Um, so I think in reality, no matter um, no matter how we try, we're never going to send the best Australian team because the best Australian team won't be able to afford to go. Um, so we're always going to be sending um, the best we can at the price we can. Um, so it's a little unfortunate, but um, you know we uh, we try. Uh, this year, this year our results. Um, were fairly similar. Uh, I think we were three wins, three losses, uh, if my memory serves me correctly, and once again, pretty much smack bang in the middle of the field. Um, but our losses uh, were very close, um, and we had uh, one of our players running our uh, tower farsight bomb uh, who basically just got ridiculously, ridiculously unlucky in um, three of his games. Um that went from him basically smashing the living crap out of someone to um, uh, getting tabled. Um, basically, Farsight Bomb just one, one, he lost one combat to like a crew unit squad uh, by one stubborn leadership ten. Failed it, got run down by crew. Nice. Um, you know, yeah. Uh, so that that was that was sucky. Um, and it's one of those things that afterwards you, you, you look at it and you go, oh, you, your first reaction is, you know, how'd you let that happen? But in reality, every single one of you would go, oh, you know, leadership 10, stubborn. Uh, I'd probably win that combat. Um, you know, I'll, I'd, I'd take that, I'd take those odds. Yeah. And, and, you know, you roll, you roll crappy and it's a dice game and you can, you can get diced. Um, so, I mean, there was, uh, the other game that he, he got smashed in was uh, against an Eldar list where we had that as the you know the easiest of matchups for him, and um, he shot an entire Farsight bomb at uh, a Wave Serpent, and it didn't die. Um, and uh, inside the Wave Serpent was the um, uh, the, the Warlocks with um, Reveal, uh, and so basically. He got out um, and uh, cast a veal on him, and uh, and no longer had the the stealth and shrouded, and then boom, blew him away. Um, so it was one of those things that he was in a position where he couldn't have had the power cast on him if a far sight bomb could kill a single wave serpent. <laughs> which nine <laughs> um, times out of ten is going to happen. Well, well, when you got twin linked ignore cover, um, there's not much of what I mean. A, you should at least hull point the, the damn thing yeah. to death. Um, so once again, I mean, after that, I said, how did that happen? And he explained it. And I'm like, well, yeah, you got diced. Um, but, um, you know, it, it happens to the best of us, and you've just got to... Sometimes you can recover from it, and sometimes you can't. Uh, but every single one of our rounds that we lost, um, you know, we had... Uh, it was it was, it was was very close. So um, we're, we're happy with uh, our results, I guess. Yeah, and you did in the end. You had a all Australian team again this year, correct? Unfortunately, no. Last minute, we um we had someone drop out for family reasons, uh, and so because we were pretty good mates with the Swedish team from from drinks at Poland, uh, I made some made some calls and, and emails and um was able to get a a, a Merc from Sweden. Um, in the end, he ran uh, a, an orc list with Necrons because that was what um he was familiar with. 
Um, I, I must admit, uh, in hindsight, uh, the list uh, wasn't very good. Um, and it was one of those things. It was a new codex, new edition. Um, it, yeah, I, I put... I gave him a lot of freedom with the list he was going to run because we weren't going to really have much options to chat about it. Um, and, uh, yeah, it ended up being something we had to protect quite a bit. Um, round one, he smashed his opponent. Um, and so that was, oh, this looks good. Uh, and then, unfortunately, I think he lost the remaining uh, five rounds. Um, uh, but he was a you know, good dude. Um had good to hang out with, good to chat with, and uh, it was it was quite helpful in the in the pairing process as well. Um, unfortunately, just the list didn't um, didn't hold up for him. Yeah, I find that now and again with you'll have an amazing list and you'll go and be like, oh, so it's not quite clicking with it. Yep, uh, I think it was uh, for us. It was very it was very unfamiliar uh, with obviously the new edition. Um, also the I mean the the timing more so than ever because we have we we actually uh, for the first time this year moved our um, Australasian team challenge to be um, uh, I think about uh, a month or a month and a half before the ETC um, so as we could use it as good preparation um, and unfortunately due to the the timing of seventh uh, it was too early to um, to do, or too late, my head, sorry, to do seventh at our uh, ATC. Um, so we were running a different edition um, in our in our um, teams event. So our list design was just completely different, and um, there was not too many players that could just take their list that they've been running for the last twelve months and and go with it. Um, so yeah, it was it was a bit difficult um, to say the least. But uh, you know, am I right in saying did, you guys had a couple of dropouts as well last within a couple of months? Yeah, we had we had a, a couple of dropouts because um, of the edition change, um, which sucked a bit. Um, you know, it was it was one of those things that um, they it was already going to cost them a lot um, of time and money uh, to get um, to the ETC. Uh, and they were quite experienced players in sixth edition, um, and they were basically up front, and they said they don't have time um, before the ETC to learn seventh edition to the level that they believe they needed to to play in, in the event, uh, and their lists didn't work. Um, you know, the you know Battle Brothers for for their allies changed, um, and it just yeah, didn't work anymore, so they had to write and make a completely different list, and they couldn't do that until they knew 7th edition, and they weren't going to make and paint a list that may or may not work that they never get to use again. Um, so basically it was a um, it was a timing thing. I mean, if we stuck with, if we, um, if we were to stay with 6th edition, um, then, yeah, we would have had a, a, a full team of Australians uh, and... And arguably, uh, some of the best players in Australia would have been there. Um, but unfortunately, due to the edition change, uh, that didn't happen. Yeah, that is a shame. Just to put into perspective, how long was your travel just to get to the actual event this year? Um, I, I'm not 100% sure on everyone because uh, my brother lives in London. So uh, the last 
2012 and this this one as well um i make uh make the effort to go and see him so i i got a return flight to london um and then um uh, a return flight from london to um serbia uh, is how i did it um but I, some of the guys just went straight to serbia but it was a it's a pretty long flight uh and when you're trying to save a buck sometimes the the stopovers can be can be quite a bitch as well um i know that my flight to to london uh was via um singapore i think and uh and the stopover there uh was 12 hours but in the middle of the night so just had to sleep on a couch um until yeah so it was it was over a 30 hour travel time um but like 12 of those were sleeping in an airport yeah, so i know from london to belgrade we had a stopover and that was roughly a four hour with a stopover so if you're looking at yep. roughly say 25 hours that's more than a day's traveling just to get to an event so it's a lot of oh, commitment. yeah definitely yeah definitely it's it's at least a full day so i mean you've got to uh, and with with time zones, um, you know, on the way, on the way to Europe, we gain time. Um, or quite often, uh, depending on how, when you're exactly flying, you you know, you'll leave in the morning and you'll get there, you know, roughly around the same time or in the afternoon of the same day, um, because of the time difference. But on the way back, you lose a whole day um, because oh, so you go in the opposite, yeah. the opposite direction. So you gain a day, uh, but you lose a day. Yeah, yeah. So you gain a day at the start, which I guess is, um, which I guess is really good. Um, but yeah, you lose that at the end. So, um, which sucks a bit because of course the, you don't want to leave, um, on the Sunday night, uh, of ETC because you're probably getting wasted. Um, and so you want to, you want to at earliest leave on the Monday. You probably don't want to get up too early on the Monday. So you, you leave in Monday night and then you're not getting in till Wednesday. Um, so it sucks. Yes, that's half a week gone. Yeah, it's exactly. It's in it, and it's not even a week of holidaying. Like it's a, a week of recovery slash travel. Yeah. Uh, did you then find, like you said, you go out and get pissed? That seems to be a general thing at the ETC. There is a lot of alcohol involved. But did you find everyone was friendly, or did you have any bad experiences? No, I was. Uh, um, I mean, we've we've been quite lucky. I mean, in um, the the two years we've gone, so the the. The 2012 in Poland and um, and this year, um, you know we we had uh, great times with you know a bunch of the the Welsh team, the Scottish team, um, the English team uh, were the three teams I guess we were drinking the most with um, over the course of the event um, or, or week. Um, the Scots probably the most, uh, as in we were drinking with them the most. Um, because I think not the English team didn't get there until, I mean they didn't play in the singles. I know in Poland um, they didn't come out at all drinking until the last night because that was when they went super serious. Well, it worked for them. Yeah, but I do remember <laughs> sitting with you guys on the first couple of nights. So I think we were on the same coach in Poland. Yeah. And then that was really nice. Guys all went for a lot of drinks. Yeah, yeah. One of the things that. Uh, you know, the the Aussies, um, it obviously costs quite a lot to get there, but once you're there, everything is quite cheap. Um, you know, drinking in Serbia was basically free. You know, not not literally, obviously, we did have to pay, but um, the, the conversion rate um, was, was really good. Um, 
and everything was just so cheap that you were just able to drink and drink and drink and drink and not really have to worry about it um, financially anyway. Yep. Going on to finances then, uh, from what I remember you guys telling me in the past, it's really hard or expensive for you to get Games Workshop products over there. Yeah, yeah, it's it's pretty expensive. Um, I mean, especially in comparison to, um, you know, the Australian dollar and everywhere else in the world. Um, you know, it's it's a lot cheaper for us to buy products quite often from overseas websites and get it shipped all the way here than it is to go to a, a games workshop in Australia. Um, uh, obviously, there's different costs, uh, wages, rent, all that garbage. Um, but yeah, it's uh, it was uh, definitely. I mean, a few years back, um, you know, everyone just bought from overseas, um, from you know, English or European uh, websites. But then, um, then Games Workshop put in their little ban to say you can't send uh, to Australia. It wasn't just Australia; there were other countries as well. But basically, um, yeah, they enforced a rule that meant that we couldn't buy from overseas stockists. We could only buy locally um and yeah so it sucked a bit i won't lie um the price of price of our stuff went up and not much we could do about it do you find but sorry i'll let you finish uh, i was it's it's one of those things that um you know if you if you are organized with what you want to buy we do have a lot of um like independent retailers over here that will do like 15 percent or sometimes have 30 percent off um, games Workshop prices. Um, you've just got to be aware that the timing, you know, you place the order um, and they don't always have the stock. So they then have to get it off Games Workshop before they can ship it to you. So unfortunately, it can take, you know, a week and a half sometimes to get the stuff you want, um, but you can save a bit of money. Um, so it's just a mat- matter of, I know that for, for, for the events that I, that I need to get stuff for quite quickly, um, those last-minute changes to lists, um, I'll go to a Games Workshop store because I know it's on the shelf and I can get it, um, and I need it right there and then. Uh, but anything that – like I've got an event um, in the last weekend of January, um, which I've already started. Um, you know, It's, it's, it's quite a, a hobby-strong event, so there's a lot of um, uh, uh, points and effort um, towards not just the, the list design but um, you know, how it looks on the table. So uh, I've I've started quite early on that and started purchasing the the goods so to speak so as I can start making it and painting it and, and getting it up to scratch. Um, so from that perspective, I can buy from um, you know the the Australian websites that that offer quite good prices um, because I know that I don't need it until you know I probably won't actually be doing most of the work till the December holidays. Cool. Do you find that affects your meta slightly then and then? your ETC builds in a way? Um, it definitely, I mean, our our, our, um, our meta is quite different uh, in Australia, um, uh, even within itself. So each state um, uh, is, is pretty much doing its own thing uh, and a lot of us aren't keeping in line with each other, uh, which does make it quite hard for things like ETC because, um, of course, we're all used to playing, I mean, over in, I mean, ETC, you've already got a situation where countries already play rules slightly different in their own country, and then you've got to come up with some, you know, global, so to speak, FAQ to, to fix it all. 
Um, we've got the same issue over in Australia, but um, it's within our, within our own country. Um, each each state will place something slightly different, um, and even within each state, local tournament organisers will rule something one way over another, which can be huge in list design. Um, so I mean, if I, the the simplest example uh, is uh, one of the rulings that was made for the ETC um, was to run uh, barrage the same rules as sixth ed, so you couldn't barrage people under a level or a sky shield. Um, whereas in Australia, in most of the states, that's not the case. Um, they they play the rules, you know, right down to how they're written. And unfortunately, if you're under a sky shield, you're not protected via from a wyvern. Um, so in you know a lot of tournaments over in Australia, wyverns um, became quite popular and um, were showing up quite a bit. Uh, in tournaments where they weren't ruled the same way and you couldn't hit units under a, a level, you find that they weren't there as much. So people do change their list based on how a tournament organiser has ruled something, um, which makes the meta quite different each tournament you go to to really guess what's going to show up. Um, <clears throat> but we've, we've, uh, in the southeast states, um, so Victoria, and um, and South Australia, we're using a, a comp system um, that we've that's in a very similar concept to um, I think it was the was it the Swedish comp system where it's you know units are, num- are pointed and and whatnot. Um, it's a little it's it's a lot more simplified I think than than theirs, um, but we're using that to sort of curve back some of the the crazy builds um, that we've been seeing sort of prop up. Um, just because it's it's ruining it's ruining our tournament scene. Um, people people are going to tournaments, and unlike um, even sixth to a point, but back in fifth ed, if you had a bad matchup, it wasn't you get tabled turn one or turn two. It was you got a bad matchup, and you can still try and play the game a bit. Um, whereas now, you know, if you get a bad matchup, it can just be I don't kill a single model in your army. And you table me, and I was just here to take models off the table for you. Um, and I, I think a lot of players um, are voting with their feet and not showing up to tournaments because that's not what they want to play. Um, so I'm, I'm not suggesting that ETC should run a, a, a comp system. I think um, the the sheer format of ETC fixes itself. But in a regular style event, um, the the no restrictions um, is just a little too much for at least for our scene. I'm not sure how other um, other countries going, but um, you know, Imperial Knights, um, the most you know, with with the comp system that that we've got over here, the most you can really run is three, and even then, uh, if you run three, you basically got no comp score and you're gonna you can't win the event. So um, at least down, as I said, in the the, the southern states. Cool. That was quite an interesting point then. Uh, what kind of list formats do you guys normally allow then if within that comp are you just because you said you play it a lot by the book is that allowing as many attachment as you want allowing double card yeah so some of our tournaments um are just no holds bar so imperial armor um you know as many detachments as you'd like and battle um the battle forge is about the only restriction other tournaments that run this comp system um you can have um effectively one uh, from lack of a better term, large detachment. So that could be a CAD or it could be, um, you know, the 
Nemesis Strike Force detachment, or it could be that Orc Horde detachment, you know, the Codex detachments. Um, you can then run uh, one smaller detachment, which could be an allied detachment, um, an Imperial Knight, Legion of the Damned, uh, Inquisition, that kind of thing. Uh, and uh, a third, which at this stage uh, is just an Assassin's Detachment. So the most you can have is three um, detachments at the moment, but no more than one CAD. Um, one of those is always so the Assassin, it, though. Oh, if, if you were to take an Assassin, yeah, that's cool. how you get the third. Um Basically, the the argument was that the um, the assassin detachment shouldn't really take up a, a you know an entire detachment area. And, and down the track, we might find that there are other things that also fall into that category. Um, but at the moment, there's only really the assassin detachment that we're that classified as that. Um, but I mean, you could still there's there's still quite a lot of versatility in your in in the list that you can run. Obviously, with that format, um, you know, even with just your straight CAD and ally. Um, you still got a lot of a lot of a lot of work there, uh, or a lot of room to, to to build lists. I mean, most of our most of our lists are in that 1850 sort of um, 1850 point bracket, so similar to ETC. Um, and all it's really doing is is curbing some of the the massive power builds. So, in I mean, you're not seeing, um, you know, demons basically aren't really at the top uh, over in our. Um, in our, our major events, because basically the the main power builds can't be run, um, because you just can't you can't get the the units you need in the the comp system. Um, uh, you're not seeing Imperial Knights really at the top tables, uh, or you might see them at top tables, but you're not seeing them on the podium um, for the same reason. So a lot of the a lot of the other armies are, are starting to to get a bit more use, and that's the thing we've got a lot of in in a, at least. At least Victoria, where I'm from, uh, for a lot of years we've um, we've put a lot of uh, uh, I guess emphasis on the actual hobby side of the game as well in our tournaments. So people go to the time and effort of building an army, and they can't just chop and change it every time a new book comes out. Um, so for us, uh, curbing that that meta change with with things like comp means that you can you can take a list that is six months old, um, and you might lose your games but you get a bit of um a bit of a handicap there um so it's it's trying to to reward people that put the time and effort in um but still allowing those people that want to play with their shiny new toys a bit of bit of bit of area to do that as well it's a tough juggle it's a tough juggle if you're saying is 1850 or norm what time limit do you play in your rounds did you find time much of an issue at the moment um I found that uh, most of our tournaments are running somewhere between that two and a half hour and three hour for an eighteen fifty uh, point game. Um, uh, you know, probably smack bang in the middle of two hours forty five is the pretty common uh, what you'd see in a player pack. Um, I, I haven't seen too many issues with time. Um, most of it's been, um, you know, been pretty good. Uh, I've uh, in the in the no comp tourneys, so the the ones where they don't have the handicap in it. Um, I've found that timing becomes more of an issue because you've got those lists, um, like lists that can summon units, um, or you know the 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 two or three fifty man unit in guard um, that just take up so much space and t- so much time in movement um, that those those armies sometimes take a little longer. Um, but for the most part. Um, what I've found is they they do finish their games, 
um, with at least five turns. They just don't usually get to roll that, you know, roll for sixth, um, which I think in itself is a little bit of an issue. Um, any any player that knows it's going to end on turn five and they don't have to worry about turn six, um, it's a little unfair. Um, I think I, I've always been of the opinion. I said this uh, in the one of the captains' meetings over at the ETC. Um, that it's a player's responsibility to bring a list that they can finish seven turns in, um, in the allotted time limit. If they can't do that, they shouldn't bring that list. Um, I'm not saying that every game will go to seven turns, but it has to have the ability to. Yeah, it's down to the players a little bit more than the game to bring something they know they can finish and get those turns in. Yeah. So I find that. Well, I know. Um, I know with my list when I ran uh, at ETC, there was uh, quite a lot of demons, and so a lot of uh, the rolling for the psychic cards took a while. The actual psychic phase itself took a while, um, but I had a um, I had a set of malefic cards and a couple of divination sets for all the psychers. So, and I had numbers for each psyker on each set of cards. So there was no paperwork. I didn't have to write the powers down. I rolled my cards and they had numbers on them and everyone knew what I had and then everyone knew what I had cast from which psyker because the cards were on the table and they had numbers on them. So my, my, my I guess, bookkeeping side of things was quite quick and efficient um, and I think if you're going to take a list that that na- naturally will take time, um, you need to, to have that bookkeeping side um, down pat. I think a piece of paper and a pen isn't, isn't good enough when you get past a couple of psychers. I mean, if you've just got, like, one librarian, you know, sure, you don't have to write shit down, you don't need the cards. Um, but if you're running uh, four Zench Heralds on discs, two, three units of Horrors, and uh, Fate Weaver, you've got a lot of rolls, and there's rewards, there's psychic powers, uh, and then as you spawn more units, there's more psychic powers and rewards. You've got to really, really be on the, on the ball with that um, to make sure that you don't go over time. Yeah, and on the topic of time, because I know you need to get off at some point for work, uh, I'll wrap this up a little bit with looking forward to next year. You guys hopefully going to be in Prague? We're very hopeful. Um, At this stage, uh, it's going to be a situation of just seeing who can afford to go. Um, It's unlikely all the guys from this year will be able to afford to do it two years in a row. uh, but we're we're definitely hopeful to send a team. I'm just unsure of what that team will look like at this stage. Cool. So hopefully I will see you there. And thank you very very much for joining us. And enjoy your day in work. Thanks, mate. Thanks, mate. So, Cheers. Uh, Pizza later, mate. Goodbye. Ciao. Ciao. So there you have our first part of our ETC coverage. Multi episodes for you on the way. Uh, this, of course, was all recorded before the ETC. Uh, we've still got list reviews. We have got full uh, coverage of Team Wales, uh, all the members that are on the podcast, as you are well aware. And we will be also speaking to some of the ETC first-timers, some of the guys from around the world who travel to the ETC uh, on their first tournament and getting some of their feedback as well. That's all to look forward to in the coming weeks right here on the Allies of Convenience podcast. We'll be back very, very soon with another uh, episode of ETC coverage. Of course, we still have the Allies of Convenience grand tournament to look forward to coming to you in the weekend of November 7th and 8th uh, up there in Warrington. Tickets will be on sale very soon for that. But if you want to keep up to date with all the developments, including rules pack formats, 
missions and all that good stuff just so you know exactly what's happening uh, and so you can start planning for that then make sure you like the event page if you go onto facebook.com forward slash aoc podcast or just search for allies of convenience 40k podcast we should come up uh, and it's in the event section it's the inaugural grand tournament um so hopefully we'll be able to see you there. Uh, make sure you subscribe to the podcast. Get involved on the Facebook as well. Uh, we love uh, feedback uh, and all that sort of stuff. So is there anything you want us to cover? We've got a bit of a window, I believe, before the tower drop, um, if you believe rumors. So we might be able to get some, some cool content in for you guys. So give us some feedback. Let us know what you want to hear, what you want us to cover in the realm of competitive 40K, and we'll do that for you. Uh, please do leave us feedback on our episodes. We'd love to know what you think about this, uh, our in-depth ETC coverage. Any ETC stuff you want to know, any questions, please leave them on the wall of the Facebook. We'll be back very soon. Take care and look out for the next episode dropping shortly.